Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date, everybody. Star Trek edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Matt, it's an exciting week, not because of the Star Treks, but because this is the week that the internet has discovered what Stevie Wonder's actual full name is. St- Steve Lee Judkins? Yeah. <laughs> and they're kind of into the idea. Wait, no one knew that? Well, I mean, everybody who read the liner notes for Music of My Mind <laughs> knew it, but uh, apparently not. Yeah, I feel like... Or Songs in the Key of Life. I think it was probably Songs in the Key of Life. That one had the most interesting liner notes, for sure. Yeah, I've, that was the one where love pl- plus love minus hate equals love energy. That's correct. Uh, yeah, I feel like we've been bouncing that one over the net to each other for a long time, Steve Lynn Judkins. Yeah. So... Although, I heard someone on a podcast today pronounce it Stevland, and I just can't believe it's Stevland. How could it be? Well, you know what? doesn't matter. Steveland doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter at all. Steveland yeah. doesn't make sense anyway, so it could be Steveland. It's a Star Trek week this week. Uh, the way we do these is whatever. I'm, I'm going to try to formulate it, it clearly. It, it. Yeah. Whichever show had the worst placing episode last week is the show we begin with, and then we continue in that fashion. <laughs> and so on and so Top, on. Top-wise. Uh, Ad infinitum. Means, yes. Uh, last week, the uh, big the big loser was uh, TOS mm. with uh, Paradise Syndrome. So this week, we watched And the Children Shall Lead. Enterprise responds to a scientific colony in distress on Triacus, or Triacus. It's said both ways. <laughs> How many of uh, the different variations are said by Shat? He, he, I think he gets them all, okay, as good, usual. Good. Uh, where they find everyone dead or dying and one structure in ashes. They, um, they listen to a recording they find of the leader of the colony, Professor Starnes, screaming about the enemy from within. Right. And the alien, and they realize that they're looking at a big mass suicide. Yeah, I feel like at least one per week from one of the shows starts with a video or an audio clip they find from a ship full of dead people or an outpost full of dead people. Yep. You can put this with that Vulcan horror movie they saw on uh, Enterprise a few weeks back, or um, yeah. obviously all the way back to uh, The Naked Now, when uh, the, the Sokovsky they they find some good old audio clip of them. Yeah, and then uh, Data, for some reason Data thinks it's impossible to blow the hatch on the bridge. Yeah, he feels the need to correct everyone all the time. Yeah, anyway. Mm. um, Not everybody on the planet's dead, though, because a bunch of kids come running out of a cave and they play Ring Around the Rosie while the away team looks on in grim Twilight Zone-esque horror <laughs> yep. before they uh, cut to credits. I'm glad you. Oh, are, I'm, come, I'm glad you already invoked Twilight Zone because it's all over my notes. 
yeah, well, it, it's sort of impossible to have kids like playing in a creepy way while adults look on horrified and not think of the twilights kind of like one of the three twilight zone plots I think that's right yep uh so they do a burial and they plant a flag and the kids are just like they don't care and mccoy thinks yeah they're probably in shock but uh kirk needs to find out what happened here so he sends the kids up to the ship with mccoy and um Spock has a theory that the mass suicide was brought on by a deliberate chemical or biological attack attack that deliberately spared the children. This does not turn out to be the case, as far as I can tell. No, but I do have here Kirk and Spock. Nobody better in the rampant speculation game. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. These guys belong on the History Channel, (laughs) for sure. all over this. They definitely have a theory, and they're not shy about it with each other. Yeah. Must have been great the first time one of them tried it on. And they realized, oh, shit, he's game. He's going to play. Oh, yeah. And then, like, uh, Kirk finished Spock's sentence and they became best friends. Right. Something like that. Yeah. It probably did happen pretty quick. Um, but Spock also detects something in the cave on his tricorder that the children were playing in. So he and Kirk go in there. Uh, tw- in Twilight Zone moment number two, I guess, <clears throat> Kirk starts to feel unusually anxious and becomes, like... Um, like when Picard reverts into that lemur or whatever mm, in, in uh, Genesis. It's yeah. not called Genesis. What's it called? No, it's called Genesis. Oh, is it called Genesis? Yeah. In Barclay's protomorphosis syndrome, which is what I normally refer to the episode as. Uh-huh. I call that the one where a lot of people die on the ship, but in the end, everyone's just having a good time. Yeah, Not that a joke. Joking around from the doctor who... Never mind. You know what? We'll get to it in 10 years. We'll t- talk about it in 10 years. Yeah, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, anyway, he's so anxious that they leave the cave right away. And then they don't kind of stick around to find out what's up. They just beam up. Nurse Chapel gives the kids ice cream. (laughs) I I don't know. Uh, McCoy tells Kirk that he hasn't found anything unusual about the children. There's no evidence that they're lying. So Kirk goes to the uh, ship's ice cream parlor. He goes to the ship's, let's say, cold stone. Yep. Oh, they're they're doing some stone work in there. Uh, it's really more, it's really more of a, uh, like a frozen yogurt place where you pick your own flavors, but you have to have the exact right card. Anyway, that seems so dumb. <laughs> well, what's even dumber is the way this, Kirk decides he wants to relate to the kids. Yeah, that's true. So Kirk uh, turns his chair around and starts trying to get information out of them. And as soon as they figure out what's up, they start uh, saying busy, busy, busy <laughs> at him. And uh, running around and making, you know, they, I don't know, they play like they're bees or something. They act like bees. <laughs> and uh, it seems like these kids are sick of adult bullshit in general, such as dinner. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so Kirk sends them to their quarters, but he, he holds their leader, uh, Tommy, behind. And uh, tries to, just tries to work on one kid at a time. Well, he's as much as 12, so he's a worthy adversary for Shatner. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, Tommy acts like he doesn't realize his parents are dead. Like, he talks about how they'll be happy without him on Triacus, and uh, that they're always so busy. Anyway, cut to the children, and they are summoning a friendly angel. (laughs) By which I mean they are in a circle, and they are... What is it? What There's they some kind of hail, dance. Hail, fire, and snow. Something like that. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they do in some kind of dance that we find out later you don't need to do. You don't need to do the dance. The dance is not important. The words are enough. Right. Uh... The uh, friendly angel appears. 
I might as well just say here that his name is Gorgon because Kirk knows it later, but we never learn how. I thought, I, you know what? I always just assume that I've missed that. Nah, okay. nah. Turns out that was just um, continuity. A production whoopsie. Yeah, yeah. So he appears and he tells these kids that now they have a mission. They got to go to Marcus Twelve, mm. where there are millions and millions of people. Most of them are not going to be down with the friendly angel, but they're going to find a million friends there. The subtext is probably also children. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, with the help of those million friends, they'll just kill everybody. Yep. Why not? But they got to get control of the ship first. And uh, he tells them they know how to do that. Yeah, and soon we find out how how they do it too. They play rock, paper, scissors until somebody's mind goes crazy. Well, and like like men, they always throw rock. That's right, exactly. Um, yeah, so on the bridge, Kirk and Spock are starting to watch all of Starnes' log entries, which are mostly concerned with uh, growing anxieties among the adults and about uh, an excavation in the cave. Maybe he starts to talk about having turned up a presence or something. Uh, but yeah, then Tommy appears and shakes his fist until the logs shut off. <laughs> And uh, like you do, Kirk just leaves Tommy there on the bridge and uh, goes to talk to Spock and McCoy in his quarters. And at this point, Tommy Rockpit does rock, paper, scissors mm. uh, until Sulu just sets a course for Marcus 12. Well, he did make Sulu see all those swords. Uh, yeah, Sulu and Chekhov are, uh, are charmed by him now. But Uhura looks over and realizes they've broken orbit and calls out. Uh, but that this is nothing because they just charm her too. Yeah, And uh, then no one else on the bridge seems to think it's any of their business because there's a bunch of people standing around watching this and they do not intercede in any way. <laughs> yep, they're like the guys in the back of the TNG Enterprise who never get involved in anything happening. There's fucking posted security. Uh, Mr. Leslie is just standing at the back there. He's been in 15 of these damn episodes. Doesn't do a goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other little ones uh, sneaks into the auxiliary control room. A room it seems like you definitely should need some kind of access control on. Right. And uh, charm, charms a couple of engineers. Uh, and then when Scotty comes in, he sees that they've changed course and starts asking about it. And then he gets in a big dumb fist fight and loses, even though the kid is just there watching the whole time. Like, he could have charmed Scotty. They didn't need to fight. Yep. I, it's not a good episode, is what I'm <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say this one. I had, I'm so glad you're doing the description on this one, because I had a, a real problem taking taking notes about anything that might matter. Back in Kirk's quarters, the big three finish watching the rest of the logs, which I guess is why he just left. Yeah. Uh, and they realize that the kids n- have the power to influence minds. So, uh, like you do, Kirk asks, well, what do we know about Triacus? A thing he maybe should have asked on the way there. No, he's like Picard in that way. He waits till they get there and then he asks about it. And Spock tells him that uh, the planet Triacus was home to a marauding force that was eventually defeated by the people they were oppressing, and, according to legend, is waiting for a catalyst to loose it into the galaxy. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Kirk and Spock go to the transporter room uh, because they they think they're still in orbit, so they go down there to beam down a relief party, Mm. and when they try to beam up the security detachment after that, nothing materializes, and Spock immediately realizes they're not in orbit, and they just beam those two dudes into space. Yeah, they did. It's kind of the thing that you'd think the instruments would warn you about. You, you know now, how this was maybe you know how in real life you can't like send an email without a subject line. It goes, "Are you sure? Are you sure you want to send it?" <laughs> hey, 
it's really important, right? This email's probably pretty important, but I guess in the future you can beam entire people just into nothing, and that, that at no point does it go, hey, yeah, yeah, are you sure? Yeah, or maybe, uh, you know what it probably is, Matt, is it probably warns them too often. So they now they don't even pay attention. They just click it away. And they just have they just have like fatigue, and they just hit accept every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No I got it. What. Thank you. I understand. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. I do want to beam them out there. Jesus Christ! Like I like I don't want to beam them down to this planet. There's no planet. Oh. Anyway, only about thirty seconds have passed, and we've got all kinds of modern medicine on board this ship. But Kirk and Spock just look at each other and shrug, and do not even attempt to recover the other crew. <laughs> They're gone. Also, at the end of the episode, they don't go back and get the guys who were on the planet. Just a heads up, they go right to Starbase 4. Oh, God. Uh, it's, I feel like that's the kind of thing that got lost in all the mess of that episode. Like, yeah, in yeah, yeah. universe, and like a week later, they're going to be like, hey, um. <sighs> fucking A. <laughs> I think they're still back there. Hey, there's there. still two guys. Oh, my God. We left two dudes on Triacus. They probably ate those, those people to survive. They probably did. <laughs> They probably dug them up, cooked them, and ate them. <laughs> they said, well, I know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> I know where there's meat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh. So, <laughs> Kirk calls up to Sulu. Sulu tells him they're still in orbit. He rushes to the bridge, gets to see the end of the summoning ceremony, and the angel appears again. Yeah. Uh, I guess the kids are summoning them because after Kirk called, they knew they were discovered or something. Sure. Uh, and at this point, the angel tells them that even though they are discovered, the children can call upon the fear within the Enterprise crew to control them. Hell yes. Sulu sees a lot of knives in space. So many of those space swords that he's Just always been so afraid of. a circle of knives in front of the ship. His greatest fear. Uh, Uhuru sees herself as old and diseased. Oh, what a surprise. Yeah. And now all of the words that she says are... Uh, I see my death. It's a, it's a, it's a long, slow, painful, painful death. death. Right. But I, so maybe I definitely got the feeling she was looking at her old ass face, though. Maybe it's not just her fear of aging and becoming ugly, which is a well-established character trait at this point. That's the problem. It is well-established. Rearing its head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even Spock is under the sway of, of the children a little bit, but he somehow focuses up just in time for uh, for the big party piece here. Which is Scaredy Kirk. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if the kids did this to Kirk or if this is Kirk's natural panic at nobody on the bridge obeying his orders. But his big fear apparently is losing control of the ship. Yeah. And he he goes full shat. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real shat performance for sure. He goes full. I mean, this is... When they say chewing the scenery, they're... Maybe that originates from something where someone did chew scenery. If not, it's from this scene. Yeah. If it began its life as metaphor, it's from this scene. So, so far in season three, we've been getting a lot of really wild Chatner, and I'm happy about it. I'm here for it. I mean, yeah, me too. Um, Spock helps them get it together during a long turbo lift ride, and they go to auxiliary control. Um, but Scotty is enthralled now also, and... Uh, for the first time in history, Kirk and Spock together can't win a fight. Yep. They get thrown out of auxiliary control. Spock seems to want the children killed now. Well, that's, that tracks with Spock, actually. He's... This is basically Spock's thing. Well, logically, it's murder time. That's right. But Kirk's like, oh, but they're children. They, they've been deceived, etc., etc. I don't know why he thinks that. Oh, that's because that's what... Uh, 
McCoy throughout this entire episode is only worried about the kids being in shock. I don't think he has one line about what's happening on Enterprise. It's possible that nobody tells him. It's true. He comes back in the end and he goes, ah, they're crying. I'm glad to see it. Great. The kids are going to be all right. He never saw the friendly angel. (laughs) He just heard the reports. And when Spock talked about uh, a catalyst loosing evil power on the galaxy, he's like, according to legend and then he left so maybe he never knew <laughs> right. no one told him this show he's probably gonna have to be the one that asks about those two dudes like when they miss a physical or something exactly this show like enterprise is a three-man show but they don't always need three <laughs> no it's true sometimes they leave mccoy out just like on enterprise sometimes they leave trip out um Chekhov shows up to arrest kirk and spock with uh tommy backing him up but they um, this time they do win their fight, even though these guys are armed. They yeah. uh, they fight him right off, and with no one else around to control. Oh, Kirk has asserted, by the way, that his fear will never come back. And I guess that's true. <laughs> he figured it out. Uh, Tommy seems to think so anyway. He doesn't even really attempt it. Uh, so he just runs away, and Kirk finds him up on the bridge, sitting in his chair. Which is kind of a baller move, considering you just ran from the man. <laughs> yep. And now you're not even going to hide. Uh, he asks Tommy why their friend is afraid of them, why he won't show his face, and then he has Spock play back the chant that summoned him. I didn't know Spock had recorded that, or maybe the bridge is always recording. I don't know. Wild if true, because there's a lot of evidence against Kirk, if that's the case. That's right, yeah, they're gonna gonna have some problems in the editing bay with that one. Anyway, the, uh, the playback works. The rest of the kids come to the bridge. I guess they figure out something's up. The angel appears, but he's all distorted and green. Kirk calls him Gorgon at this moment, right. and no one remarks on that at all. Uh, and then Kirk... I don't know how he's worked this out. Did he talk to McCoy? Did he talk to Spock? He has Spock just play home videos from Traicus on the monitors, which Spock has. Sure. And then uh, just like a cool smash cut to their parents lying dead, and then another one to their graves. Oh, yeah. Real so, sensitive. Yeah, it's just a real, it's a real nice move. The kids definitely aren't going to have nightmares about this. Kirk later on will claim he had a plan in mind when he asked Spock to edit that uh, 48 hours ago. But right, exactly. it was just his own personal shit. Uh, all the kids start crying while Gorgon screams about annihilating their enemies. And then he starts uh, kind of melting. And uh, also Kirk somehow knew that the dude was really secretly ugly. I, there's no way that any of this is possible. <laughs> Everyone snaps out of it. McCoy takes the kids away to help him. Uh, Kirk starts signing a report and sets course for Starbase 4. Yep. Yep. I know that was too much description. It was a lot. Of, yeah, I don't know if I would have said more than uh, there's some kids who are working for a weird green guy and they got the power to make you see scary things and they try to hijack the Enterprise. But in the end, Kirk decides that he can't be hijacked. That would have been better. Matt, what's this episode about? Uh, I think I've used this on other episodes in the past. I think this is um, fear is the enemy. Which is it's on the nothing side of average. That's like... Um, yeah. So I guess don't ever be afraid. I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. Just don't <laughs> do it. Just don't have any fear. Um, so that's just a... Uh, that's a four for me. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I... Um... I had the same thing. I just wrote down the litany against fear from Doom, Dune, but now I don't feel like reading it. That's fine. It's too much. <laughs> totally, I've read a lot. It's totally uh, fine. It's essentially this, though. Fear sucks. Right. Yeah, because that's... And you just gotta, you just got to push through it, and then everything will be fine. That's what they um, used against everyone on the ship the whole time, and 
as soon as Kirk just, again, made his decision. There's just So there's nothing wrong with the take. It's not anti-Star Trek. It's not a sci-fi take. No. It's not... Well, it's, not, it's just kind of not anything. Yeah, it's not instructive. Like what? So what? Yeah, I gave it. I actually only gave it a three. Okay. And it's like, here is the thing: Was Spock able to shake whatever was going on in his brain because he is a Vulcan? Vulcanian, yes. Why is Kirk able to shake it, but none of the rest of the like in where no one has gone before? Picard gets on the intercom and tells everyone to focus up. Hell yeah. And they just sort of all can. Yes. Do you know what I mean? They just put that fire out. No big deal. In this one, only Kirk has a superhuman ability, probably based on his love of the Enterprise. Yes. To shake off this fear and know that it won't return. But it's like, so what about the rest of us? Yeah, what if we're not fucking superhumans like James T. Kirk? Like, what is the... Me- this is another one of those. It takes a special kind of person to be a starship commander. Yeah. Episodes. Messages. That's what I said. So I don't love it. What's the takeaway? Don't ever be afraid. Don't do it. If you find yourself doing it, stop doing it. That's all. Right. So for me, it's a three. Okay. That's totally understandable. Um, Ben gave it a four. Okay. His take is, without followers, evil cannot spread. This is a thing that Spock literally says in the episode, so... That's always I fair think it's game. It's valid. Yeah. It's valid. Except that they don't defeat the followers, really. I may, I mean, do they defeat them by just showing them their dead parents? Yeah, I mean, they defeat them by turning them against uh, uh, Gorgon, I guess. I guess. Because then in the end, they when they all said about what happened to their parents, who. <sighs> Did anyone just not tell them? Because, like you said, I mean, in the beginning were... of the episode, it seems like what's his name doesn't necessarily know the parents are dead. And then they show them all these videos. Couldn't they have just told them, hey, um. You guys killed her parents. They went to the funeral, is the thing. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. I'm so confused by this. Because <laughs> once they see it on that home video, I know it was brilliantly edited. Great soundtrack. But, like, suddenly they are not with this dude anymore. Did everybody live in that one hut? Were there other huts off screen? God, I fucking hope so, because in that... It was like one room, and there were six families there or something. Yeah, in that home video, it looked like there were a fucking ton of people there. Be aggravating. Yeah, but they were just all throwing a ball around in front of that one hut. <laughs> it's true. I don't get it. <laughs> Lazy. They didn't even do a matte painting that showed other huts. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, it was absolutely the hell soundstage, the planet hell soundstage that they use for everything. You, As soon as they beamed down the, in the first scene, I was like, oh, I know that soundstage. That's yeah. the one soundstage. Uh, swinging around, he gave it a three on execution. Uh, yeah. Creepy kids, uh, mind control deity. Unclear what the aliens' motivations are other than control, I guess. Um, and then uh, it's unclear what the mechanic is that makes people kill themselves. Is it just fear? Seems like it was more than that. Like they were suggestible. Uh, is the angel dude supposed to be a ghost? Yeah, who knows? He's Gorgon. Uh... It's tough. Uh, I actually think Ben was generous. I only gave it one point for execution. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an episode that is missing like eight scenes where Kirk learns information. Oh, but thank God we didn't get those because I don't where need did he more. Get, where did you get Gorgon's name? How does he know this isn't his real appearance? Uh, if he picked that appearance, why did he pick Televangelist who definitely touches children? <laughs> 
why is Kirk so certain that his fear is now master and can never return? Do they record everything on the bridge, or did Spock tell him, I recorded that summoning circle earlier? This is a real dumpster fire of an episode. Yeah, it seems weird that they would pick a story that they need a movie-length episode to tell. <laughs> Doesn't it? And that this is the story. The movie-length you know, episode about the creepy kids who follow the green monster. I think, like, often, uh, I don't know why, but I feel like this happens in Deep Space Nine more than in most of them. Mm. Where I'm like, they should have left some of this on the cutting room floor because there was more interesting stuff in the A-plot right. to get to. Clearly, they packed this one to the fucking gills. Yeah, because like you said. Like, the only thing you could cut is the ice cream bit, but like... Right. What does that get you, a minute? Yes, despite the 50 minutes of nonsense, we didn't have enough nonsense. Yeah. This is a real tough episode. This one was tough to watch. Oh, hated it. Um, I agreed entirely. It was a one for me as well on execution. I, I said, look, this is basically a Twilight Zone episode, and I don't mean that as a compliment. It was... Oh, it's not one of... The, it's not the one... It's not... You know, you remember, like, three Twilight Zone episodes, and you're like, oh, Twilight Zone was pretty good. And then you and go then back and like you me, watch you all 900 episodes? No, 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 no. I just went on Wikipedia and read the synopsis for all of them, <laughs> and I'm like, huh, these are all the same. And stupid. <laughs> Yeah, it was dull and stupid. I didn't care about these kids. That evil angel was not convincing. I think we were talking off air about how he was very obviously reading. Well, he wasn't an actor. He was like a lawyer or something. <laughs> well, he was... But he must have been a well-known one because uh, he was stunt cast as this idiot. Oh, so he was some kind of uh, person of note. Yeah, I guess. Oh, yeah. He's just, but he's looking off screen and just going, and they will fear you, and you have the power to make them afraid of you, and we'll go to Marcus 12, where we will find more friends. And you're just like, why do the kids listen to this guy? He's boring as shit. <laughs> and kids instinctively know when a grown-up is a windbag. Oh, hell yes. Yeah, these kids would not have loved this green weirdo. Nah. And then watching the crew look like a bunch of dumb dummies that wasn't great. Again, Sulu's afraid of flying space knives. Like, And he cannot get through it, by the way. Yeah, he did not overcome that very dumb fear that you'd think by now flying through space he would have learned to deal with. <laughs> you know, I've never seen a space knife yet. It's, I, I think I'm pretty safe. I think I can overcome this fear. So what do I even do about them there? <laughs> I mean, they're right there in space. Flying space. There's, if, if I change course, we'll be destroyed. <laughs> just... Wait, could the ship just hit a knife? I'm not. Now I'm not sure. <laughs> I couldn't believe that was what they put for him. They couldn't come up with anything even slightly psychologically interesting. No. Anyway, like I said, I wasn't even motivated to take good notes. It was a real challenge to take notes. So, yeah, one for me as well. Well, did you take any on world building? Ben's just a two on this one. Uh, I had a one. I, I guess I could see a two. I erred on one. Um, scientific colony on Triacus. Cyalidin uh, for suiciding. That's the medication they took in the beginning. Um, this weird clown guy reading off a script is some kind of bad angel or monster? Triacus was the seat of a band of marauders sometime in the past. Do the security officers on Enterprise tuck in their shirts? Because, like, I didn't remember seeing that in TOS until those two dopes that got beamed into space uh, huh. clearly had their tunics tucked into their pants. Was it so they could be wearing a phaser belt? That might be why. Because I never ever see Kirk or Spock or any of the others tucking theirs in. Well, the normal TOS phaser belt is just a piece of black cloth. Right. Right? That they 
I don't know. I don't know if they tie it around their waist or what, but they don't thread it through any belt loops. It was pretty clear these guys were totally tucked in. Well, their job that day was to stand there for long enough for them to do the transporter effect and then just to be dead. <laughs> dead forever. And then again, you... Dead and unmourned. You can beam somebody down somewhere without even knowing where you are. Like, why can they even do that? Uh, and then Starbase 4. So uh, what I saw was not a lot of effort and not a lot of things I found value in. Uh, I'm on Ben's side this time. I gave it as much as a 2. Okay. So uh, the uh, United Federation of Planets flag makes an appearance here. It's not a good one. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, transporters have no safeguards. Uh, people constantly monitor the bridge in auxiliary control. So it's not just a place for if you need to take control. There are people whose job it is to monitor it. Uh, is that like why there's always someone who's already monitoring what's going on on the bridge? Like, uh, so, yeah. is that why the doctor on Voyager is always just monitoring the bridge? Yeah, I guess he's auxiliary control. Yeah. It's fine. His personality can take new tasks and new oh yeah you know, uh, components we gotta learn a lot about this dude this week uh also all that stuff about the marauders mm-hmm. and then uh let's talk about the ice cream machine for a minute because okay, i i glanced we just went over it briefly but the there is a room on this ship i'm not sure we've ever seen it before the ice cream annex it's got three slots in the wall which can make ice cream and Chapel has got a bunch of little cards, like the kind Spock would use for computer things, mm-hmm. and they're painted different colors. Okay. And she tells the children that they can have any flavor they can imagine. Whoa. And they all imagine flavors that she is holding. <laughs> That's very helpful. Including at the end when the one kid wants pistachio and chocolate, and she hands him a green card with a brown stripe on it, and then he says, and peach, and she hands him another card, which is green and brown and pink. Whoa. None of these kids would have suspected a thing about Grobbler's Orn. <laughs> well, if you had peach ice cream, that's... No, it's not a, it's not a big deal. <laughs> oh, also she had the exact right number of cards to do this stunt. Uh, Props was not making one extra card. Well, uh, maybe we'll find out in three or four episodes that Nurse Chapel actually has been enslaving one of those monsters. And using oh. it, using it to give uh, probably Spock anything that he desires. Yeah, that would make sense. That's why she's always getting plomic soup all the time. That's why she's always so disappointed because his cares are so bland. <laughs> I could already get him that. I, we already have plomic sure. soup. Why am I even torturing a, a creature? <laughs> it hates what me. What is this all for? Am it, I the bad guy? I can see how it looks at me. It hates me. <laughs> so I'm a two on world building. Uh, I don't feel like we'll ever see the replicators work that or whatever the food slots work that way again. No, I wonder if we'll see the ice cream annex ever again. It's a very good question. I mean, we only got a certain number of episodes left here. We're running out of time. Ben is a two on characterization. Okay. Uh, And he mainly wants to know about all of these fears and mainly whether Sulu is afraid of daggers. (laughs) I don't understand it. Which is a wild thing for a swashbuckler at heart to be afraid of, by the way. Yeah, did he have to learn how to tame the sword to beat the sword? I guess that must be Is that why he's a swashbuckler? I gave it as many as three. Okay. Uh, What Kirk fears most is losing command. Uhura fears a drawn-out painful death. 
Spock is a low self-esteem boy who fears being a nuisance. Yeah. He doesn't want to bother Starfleet. That's right. And so who's afraid of space knives? Uh, McCoy has some point to make about these kids, but he can never fucking get it out. I have no idea what he was trying to say about grief. I thought we were, you know, like a hero worship or whatever. Oh, you thought that's where we were going to go? Uh, yeah. Then he disappeared oh, from the show. Shit. Uh, what's the... Uh, God damn it. What's the Marlaster one? Suddenly human. No. Um, the loss. The bonding. The bonding. Yeah. The bonding. <laughs> All the episodes. Uh... I thought we were gonna. I thought that was gonna be that, but uh, again, McCoy just fucks off for the whole second half of the episode. So, mm-hmm. he, whatever his point was to make about these kids, he never gets it out. Where? What are you on characterization? I was in agreement with you. It's a three. <clears throat> Kirk and Spock, nobody better in the rampant speculation game. They uh, think they have deduced this alien plot almost immediately. The uh, imagined alien plot that Spock has—that uh, someone made these people kill themselves, either by chemical yep. or. Uh, or other means. Uh, I hated watching Kirk talk to these kids. <laughs> He's not good at it. His ice cream talk was horrible. If I were a kid, I would have spit on him. Like that little girl? Like that little girl did. In Miri? Yeah. I, oh. I would have hocked a fat loogie right in his fucking face. It was horrible. That was amazing. Again, the same note. Sulu is scared of some cartoon swords. Um, Moruhura being fucked up about getting old. Uh, Scotty's fears are that the ship systems will get all out of whack. Yeah. <laughs> he did not like the idea that they were going to mess with the ship systems that he had fine-tuned so well. He doesn't appear to have any subordinates. Uh, he might have to fix everything that goes wrong on this ship. Oh, engineering on TOS is like sickbay and TNG. Yeah. It's like every once in a while they write in that he has some people working under him, but most of the time it's just a big empty room. Yeah, that's basically what it is. It's just him and those Perspex clubs. Like, there are aspects of this episode that you could enjoy, uh, ironically, but not anywhere near enough. So, I couldn't even really enjoy the characterization. Yeah, just a three for me. Yeah. Um... Ben's got a couple of quick hitters. Okay. He loves how all the colonists have mostly single color clothes on for easy identification. Right. Uh, the angel is ugly because he's evil. Right. Uh, what about you? You must have some. Uh, Kirk continues to know everyone on every planet everywhere. Oh, it did definitely seem like he knew this Starnes guy. Yep. He brings it up that the, he knew him well. Um, the show loves creepy kids. If somebody was speaking gibberish at me, like what happens on the bridge when um, they make it so that no one can understand what Kirk's saying or whatever, I probably wouldn't just stand there watching him without any movement or emotion of any kind. Which is what happens. (laughs) I don't think so. Everyone's that security guard does for sure. That security guard literally does not make a fucking move. Just goes, oh, last week I told him he was talking gibberish and I got, I was reduced two steps in rank. So impromptu theory corner. Okay. What if that dude was high? <laughs> what if he like he, thinks he's he was tripping. trying to get through his whole fucking shift high, and all of a sudden Kirk is doing gibberish talk at him, and earlier he thought he saw knives on the view screen or something. <laughs> so he's just trying not to let anyone and he's know. He's just like, oh god, what did I? I don't even at this point. I'm not even sure what I took. What did I eat? <laughs> I just feel like maybe like a nod or like a yes sir, 
something to get you through it <laughs> would be better. Uh, again, a lot of wild chat so far this season. Last week it was I am Kirok. This week's it's the whole the whole wild show that he makes about losing command of Enterprise. Um, if they could have afforded for him to tear his uniform, he would have. Oh, for sure. It was... You know he went to do it and they were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we're almost out of those. <laughs> it's going to be nothing but your casual green tunic after this. Uh, a lot of math being done about gentleness canceling out strength and shit in this episode. Uh-huh. Uh, that's some Stevie Wonder nonsense. Sorry. Uh, kind of. Stevland. That's some Stevland nonsense. And again, who cut that snuff film together? Because what's going on with that? What about you? Um, uh, first, I have a question for you. Did Marjan ask you if that kid was a Howard? <laughs> she did not view this episode with me. Okay. <laughs> she definitely would have asked as soon as she seen okay. that taller kid. Good. That's uh, <laughs> some kind of Howard? Um, they took the time to uh, make up all of these fancy stone grave markers. Yep. But not to uh, dig holes, huh? Because those guys definitely just have dirt mounds over them. <laughs> That's right. Where did they get that dirt from? They must have dug a hole somewhere. I I mean, they they dug a hole, but they didn't dig it six feet deep. No. Um, well, good, because those guys are going to have to eat them, so they'll, it'll be easy to get to them. I guess Chapel's a fucking mind reader. She had that, oh, this is what the kid ordered, chocolate wobble and pistachio. <laughs> And, an, and also she had the other one that had Peach right there. That's some Grappler Zorn shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I did make that comment. I love this angry kid who says, parents like stupid things. <laughs> That's right. Well, he's That's not wrong. It's a pretty good line. Then he goes off to engineering and, or uh, auxiliary control. Um, yeah. 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 Well, when you read the description, yeah, I covered it. Yeah. I covered it during my description. <laughs> I give best actor to Spock, I guess. And worst actor to pick a kid. The kids were all terrible. That's true. I would have given worst actor to um, Green Monster, Gorgon. <laughs> On account of not even trying to act. And uh, we'll have friends there. It says a million on the page. We'll have a million friends. A million friends. Can that be right? That seems like a lot. Is this What kind of show? What is this? You'll have a million new friends on Marcus Marcus 12. And where, where is that? You Is that outside of LA? <laughs> you, you've, you've got... Is that a neighborhood or a city? You know how to do it. You've got the power. It says here you've got it. As you believe, so shall you do, so shall you do. <laughs> As you believe, so shall you do. Uh, yeah, you should have taken some clips of that guy. That guy was wild. Uh, yeah, I should have. <clears throat> I mean, I still can for the future, but... Yeah, but who uh, wants to go I back won't. into that We episode? both know I will yeah, not. Yeah, don't do that. I don't... Here's the thing. If I go back, then Netflix is going to, like, not remember where I am in the series. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I don't want... So. I want for you to not have to go back into that. Well, that's what I want for me, too. Um, Matthew, uh, in fourth place last week was Voyager. So now the competition is on to see who can have... Who can finish last this week? <laughs> that's right. Okay. This... This week we watched Darkling. Ear infection, I feel betrayed. You used to come visit a lot, plus you stayed. Now it's like, I don't know, you call you Jekyll and Hyde. My ear's safe and warm, yet you wander outside. Where'd you sleep last night? Should I guess? Doesn't hurt when I hurt. I'm without your distress. How'd you do me like this? That's it, we're not together. How's it my fault for taking up with eardrop forever? Eardrop means I don't need 
I recognize the artist, but not the song. Oh, that's Jacqueline Hyde by uh, MC Frontal. I did. I heard the uh, Jacqueline Hyde references in there. Um, I would have gone with Darkwing Duck theme song. I mean, that would have been amazing. When you're and in trouble, I definitely you should DW. have. So maybe what you can do is find a 22 second Darkwing Duck clip. <laughs> and just splice it in. And just put it in in that spot. I guess it can actually be any length that's now true. that I think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 22 is a great number. That's definitely the number I'd pick. Um, all right, fuck. Um, Voyager's visiting some weird old McCall travelers for information about this part of space that they're in. Yeah, I guess they're out of the Necrot Expanse now. You know, they built that up to be real big and scary, but most of that trip we didn't see. You know, we had like an episode or two where they were sort of tangentially talking about things in it, but now they're out of it. You know, it's okay. We're still in the other Expanse in the other show. <clears throat> the, um, How many Expanses do we need? The, um... Delphic. Delphic, yeah, the Pelvic Expanse. Um... Uh, Janeway's story time with one traveler is interrupted when Kess walks up with another, Zaheer, who seems to genuinely want to help Voyager in exchange for some supplies. Uh, back in the sex holodeck resort, the Doctor makes friends with Gandhi and Lord Byron because he wants to improve his bedside manner. Or something. Um, he gets mad jealous when Kess comes in and talks about Zaheer, her new friend. Uh, credits. Now the doctor molests the shit out of Bellana Torres. I mean, really, way too much. A lot of touching and saying weird shit and growling. He definitely would lose his license. Well, I mean, that's not true. We all know what would really happen is no one would believe her. Yes, that's and right. 800 complaints later, that's right. he would lose his license and we'd just have a big gymnastics thing. That's exactly right. We'd have the space... Uh, what was that guy's name? Just not Nasir... I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, Nasser. Is a, just a real creep. Yeah. Um, anyway, she, uh, we were told that she has a really hot temper, but she plays it super cool. And uh, she promises even to help him with his dumb project, because it's apparently not going that well. Um, Kess and Zaheer make out in front of a shiny rock, and a cloaked figure watches ominously. Everyone gets mad at Kess for having a boyfriend, and she ends up talking to Janeway about maybe possibly leaving the ship to... Uh, have some life experiences because she's three now or whatever. She does say. <laughs> not to not to Janeway, but to someone else. I'm three. I'm three, and, and I'm, I'm attracted in love. to someone. That's my business. That's right. Uh, she interrupts Tuvok and her new uh, beau Zahir, basically bartering Kess's future away without her. And uh, sh- she tells Zahir she can't hang out tonight because of work. Zaheer goes for a walk, and that cloaked figure from before ambushes him and pushes him off a cliff. Uh, uh, surprise to no one, it's Shmullis. Yep. I guess it wasn't a good idea to mess with his program, and now he's a murderer. Um, <laughs> I, I, by the way, I watched all these a very long time ago, so... <laughs> no, but you're right. That's what <clears throat> happened. Um, he attacks the, uh, the lodge owner that Janeway was talking to in the opening scene and tells him to arrange for Shmullis to be transported safely off the planet. Kess, back on Voyager, activates the EMH and asks for his help. Um, so I guess I guess he came back to Voyager? Yeah, a thing that is never discussed here at all <laughs> was... is how he got down to the planet and back up. Yeah. <laughs> with apparently no one noticing, although I do want to say 
when he beams off again at the end of this episode, and you'll probably explain how that comes to pass, mm. an actual alarm sounds on the bridge yep. for an unauthorized transport. So were his previous transports authorized, or did Tuvok just forget that when he was playing detective? I think it was probably the same thing as earlier. He, he ignored that warning. It probably happens all the time. I guess so. Anyway, she activates the EMH and asks for his help. Zaheer lives, but he's in bad shape in the emergency medical facility nearby. Uh, the doctor's about to go and help when Balana stops him because she's identified some issues with his program. Uh, yeah, he's gone crazy is the issue. Um, Tuvok can't find any DNA evidence from the attack. He and Janeway do a walk and talk and make their way to sickbay where they find an unconscious Torres. Uh, they activate the doctor to help. Um. Uh, sorry. When they leave the room, and he turns into the evil doctor again. Uh, he wakes up Balana and explains his evil plan to her. He has paralyzed her from the waist down, and he gets a, like real molesty again. Yep. She won't help him delete the real doctor, which I guess is this uh, evil doctor's goal. So he goes off to the holodeck to talk to the weirdos there. Um. Meanwhile, Tuvok is questioning the lodge owner, and he, Chaco, and a recovering Zaheer go off to the scene of the crime. Uh, Kess finds Crazy Shmalis in the holodeck dissecting the hollow weirdos, and he clumsily kidnaps Kess and shoots his way to the transporter pad. Mm -hmm. They beam down after some tedious dialogue, and Shmalis has found a way to distract Voyager's sensors, so they can't be found. Yeah, he knows how tricorders work, so he can... Well, that's because Lord Byron did. He can do a thing. Yeah, that's right. He got that straight from probably T'Pau. Yeah, it could have been T'Pau. Uh, Tuvok reveals that he's found evidence now linking Shmolus to the assault on Zaheer, so everyone's finally clued in. Um, Kess and Crazy Shmolus chat for a while at the Lodge, which is a great hiding place. And the Lodge owner tells Shmolus he's effed, Voyager has the place surrounded. So they make a run for it, and they're eventually tracked down by Chaco, Tuvork, and Zaheer... Shmalus goes wild and throws himself and Kess off a cliff, but on the way down, they're beamed up to Voyager, and now the Doctor seems totally fine. I guess Balana fixed him right at that moment. Yeah, I guess while he was in the transporter beam. I guess. <laughs> uh, nobody's held responsible in any way for the terror of the last week, and why should they? Yeah, nobody's fault this is. Mm -hmm. So, I asked Also, you, Kess has decided to stay on Voyager. Oh yeah, she ain't leaving because... Uh, Maybe because she realized the Doctor is into her. <laughs> that was enough to just to keep him dangling on the line is enough for her. I guess also in the end in the end scene he recites the first part of the Hippocratic Oath to no one in sickbay <laughs> yeah because he's fixed now he's totally normal that's a normal thing to do <sighs> what I ask you what what is this what was this one this about? is a tough one if I had a hard time identifying anything and I don't think this is what they intended okay. but the only thing we all have in common is an inner murderous darkness. Nice. That's why that's what emerges when he adds Gandhi and Byron and Socrates and T'Pau to his own programming, right? Known murderers, all of them. Yeah. He just turns him into a murderer. Yep. Um, so obviously that's worth exactly zero points. Nice. Yeah. It's not a no-take. I'm not no-taking it, but it is zero. Yes, I have many times given out a straight zero-take. Ben, uh... I mean, Ben's take is real similar, uh, but he gave it way more points. He wrote, being human is fraught with bullshit. When Data tries to be human, it's literally a way for the audience to explore the meaning of humanity, but generally in a positive way. When Schmollis does it, 
it's a complete misfire because being a person sucks. Mm. So it's just the darkness of the pre-aughts. That's what I've been calling so. the 90s lately. It's just the pre-aughts. Anyway, he gave it four. What did you give it? <clears throat> well, my take was a lady isn't property? That's not it. You need your crazy personality <laughs> traits to become a great person. That's not it. Don't try to better yourself. That's probably not it. Gandhi murdered people. You know how some episodes get extra credit for tackling two issues in one episode? <laughs> this one gets negative points for not being about any of the things that I just said. They get one point for themes. Okay. <laughs> well, there were themes. There are themes at play badly. You know what? Make it zero. I want to just give them zero points. All right. They, their um, themes were not done well. Yeah, it's terrible. Like, what were they going for? Just to do a horror episode? Just to literally do Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? The, except I'm sure that's probably about something. That's right. <laughs> yes, they were doing, an, uh, they were aping something that maybe was about something, but theirs was not. Yeah, I definitely got the feeling it was just horror episode of the week. Just like, hey, what if Schmollis was nasty? What if Schmollis went then... crazy and like was fucking molesting everyone on the ship? Oh, and then if you read the behind the scenes, uh, Picardo wanted to play him super nasty, mm. and they kept having to tone it down. Yeah, you know what? I believe that. That's very believable. That guy seems like a nasty boy. I mean, maybe it's just because he's an actor and he wanted the acting challenge, but maybe he's uh, maybe he's a real creep in real life. I don't know. Do you think if Odo like went all weird uh, for some reason, would Rene Aubergine want to play him all nasty, you think? I mean, almost certainly, right? Okay, then yes. <laughs> I mean, almost certainly. Because we'll talk we'll about see him in the this next week. fifteen mirror episodes. Oh God, yeah. I hate how often DS Nine goes back to that place. What did you give this episode for execution? I give it a one. I mean, it was a mess. Uh, everyone treats Kess like she's property because they are the men in her life. Uh, it's true. Tuvok is like. Again, literally, like, trying to decide her future with Zaheer in a private conversation without her. Fucking the doctor, obviously. It's like a weird, jealous, weird... Like, the only good part was that Neelix didn't get involved. Yeah. Because they and are... This is the episode, by the way, where they are officially broken <laughs> yes, up. Yes, they do confirm the weird breakup actually happened. But, like, um... Yeah, just, everyone's just like, uh, why are you out so late? Like, what's going on? You're acting really weird. I'm disappointed in you. And it's just like... I think she just, like, I mean, went on a walking date near a shiny rock. Yeah, Tuvok literally does catch her sneaking back in. Yeah. Uh, and also, when she beams back up, the transporter operator, not the same one who gets shot, so they had two extras at the transporter. <laughs> yeah, right. The transporter operator definitely gives her a oh, yes. walk of shame yes, look. Yes, the slut-shaming look, for sure, because, you know, that rock was so shiny where they made yeah. out. Uh, there was some shit about how nutso uh, Byron and T'Pau were, and that's why they did so very, very good. Which is always a Star Trek take that I don't enjoy. But they're like, they were good because they were insane people. Uh, the doctor yeah. going... I mean, like, Mirror Mirror, mirror. it's specifically about making command decisions. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, you need your murder rapist. Right, and even there, it kind of doesn't ring true. But it's especially crazy with this shit. Yeah. Oh, look, look, you can't be a good poet if you're not, yeah. you know, murder crazy. <laughs> if you don't have uh, terrible death lust. How can you possibly make words good? See, I don't have it in me. Uh, the doctor going crazy because of how the computer parsed some shit again. 
never great. Right? He said, make me, um, I want to be more like Gandhi and Lord Byron, and it made him the worst murderer and a pervo. Yep. I mean, I think this time it wasn't literally a verbal command, but still. Yeah, and a, a, a wild lack of consequences for anything that happened throughout this episode. At the end, they just go on about their business, the attempted murder, no big deal. All the fucking trouble that was caused on this planet in this area, no big deal. So that's pretty standard for Voyager. I mean, Janeway should lock up his remote projector, right? Yeah, he should... Um, he should lose some privileges, and also Balana should be told to stop meddling. Uh, I mean, really, she. This is not her area of expertise, yeah. and she should have stayed the. F- her responsibility after, was to report that he's trying to do this. After that horse shit with that Cardassian torpedo, mm-hmm. she should stay out of AI. That's right. She's not good at it. Turns out. Uh, and some real creepy molestation and ogling scenes from Schmollis. It's just, a, there was a lot in here that was all negative. I, 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 it's a one for me. Well, I gave it as much as two. Let's see why. Okay. <laughs> to see if you can I find a silver lining in there. Uh, there are some weird choices here. Why do they bring Zahir limping along, chasing after Cass and Schmollis? Yeah, once they know it's them, he doesn't need to be there anymore. Well, like, so not only why in-universe, but why in the episode? He doesn't sacrifice himself for her. He doesn't speak or move the whole during the whole cliff confrontation. Right. Yeah. All he does is slow Chakotay down a little bit. I mean, I was surprised Chakotay was there. That was a real Little League fucking effort. But it's not a problem. They don't have any trouble catching them. Yeah. So, like, it serves no purpose for him to be there, and he doesn't say or do anything when he's there. Agreed. Yes. So that's a weird, bad filmmaking choice. Why is Tuvok investigating this attack? I don't know. I'm not aware. As far as anyone knows, one McCall Traveler attacked another. And now Tuvok's leading the investigation. Because he's Kess's dad. You know why. I guess Kess so. got her dad on the case, just like she was going to get her weird jealous doctor in on the case. Why does Kess stay at the end? She doesn't say. <laughs> yep. This episode could have been about that, but it wasn't. Why does Chmolas do part of the Hippocratic Oath right at the end? Is he promising that he's not going to harm Kess now that his feelings about her are a little more in the open? I don't know. This one is real trash. Yeah. None of the decisions in this make any sense. No, again. Yeah, it's, a, it's not a two, it's a one. Like what I said in my description, for some reason, Schmollis' great hiding place is the lodge where he's already like known to have been and other members of Voyager have been frequenting. Yeah. Like, why did he go there? That's not a good idea. Of course they're going to find you. And so they found them instantly. Ben's a two. He says a poor execution in small ways. Why did Tuvok ask the computer for the time and then just tell Cass? <laughs> did the writers think we wouldn't believe a Vulcan about the time? That's right. Um, <laughs> yep, she's three now. He uses, Cass is three. he uses the Vulcan hand emoji there to tell us how many she is now. That's how many bells she is. Yeah. Uh, and he admits to losing interest super quick, which is fair. Yeah. No. Yeah, he's done with this one. He's a two on world building. Okay. He says the McCall Travelers look like Bajorans, and they do. They do, for sure. Uh, Yeah, the sex resort again, but with uh, also with that great scene where uh, Isaac Newton plays poker with uh, Stephen Hawking. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, this one sucks. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> Uh, I world building yeah. is what we're specifically talking about, though, uh, right now, and I'm a one. Okay. 
um, engineering is usually low on voranium. I think she said voranium. I think it's I, I think that. it's virilium. Well, we'll see. <laughs> okay. A lot of half ideas in this episode about how AI routines work. Right. Like, but they're but they're never explored fully, and they're definitely not a menace. And I don't expect we'll ever see them again. Okay. And uh, the possible threat of the Takal protectorate or something up ahead? Yes, I had that too. If this were Enterprise, that would mean something, but I think in Voyager it probably doesn't. Those guys were called the Tarkin. It's just a one. Yeah. Like, what What do we learn in, about the universe from this? Nothing. It's not much. Yeah, I had the McCall Travelers. Time for some Virilium mining. Can't they put Cass and Neelix in uniform? I mean, they put all those Maquis in uniform. Oh, that's a good point. Why don't they get uniforms? Like, the Maquis aren't in Starfleet until they just adopted them into it. That seems really weird to keep them separate. I'd be pissed if I were Neelix. They're all the fucking dinosaur caves I've been into and shit. Can't give me a fucking uniform? Instead, Instead we get ugly sweater Neelix and jumpsuit of the week, Cass. You know, with the Maquis, they're all having to make that face of the enemy choice, whether they prefer the rank of prisoner to that of... uh... (laughs) Whatever their rank is. I, I literally don't remember what happens in that episode now. <laughs> or even if that's from that. I think it is. Uh, major? Yeah, probably. Did you Major recall? She's a Major. I don't remember. Uh, but she must be threatening someone else. Oh, co- well then, com- sub- Commander. So, yeah, something I don't like know. Um, a powerful race called the Tarkin, who steal ships and forcefully resettle the crew. They necessitate a long detour in the future. Who, uh, fucking coin toss, whether we see those guys. Who knows? Um, as always, the holodeck is too easy to fuck up. This time, it made crazy people, and then he incorporated them into his program, and he went crazy. Yep. Janeway took a Klingon physiology class at the academy for some reason. Uh, Schmalis knows how to fool the transporter and sensors. Residual holographic signatures can be found, if you know what you're looking for. Well, there's not a lot there. I had it as a two. <laughs> I, she probably took that Klingon physiology class because she was at the academy right around the time that the Klingons were joining the Federation. Oh. And it was like how I took that Russian class in sixth grade. Right after the breakup of the Soviet Union. That came in handy. Yeah, I've used it a lot. <laughs> I definitely don't remember how any of the letters of the Cyrillic alphabet are pronounced, and that's as far as I got anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna stay at a two for work done, but there's certainly not a lot of important stuff in there. Well, characterization. Ben's a one on characterization. Very fair. Yeah, Kess has been going off a rocker and it's clear. The acting is just weird. I think he means the actress. Uh, She's not normal. The doctor is super not normal and no one else is in it. I mean, that's fair. Uh, Kess has a new jumpsuit. An actual on-screen mention of her weird breakup with Neelix. Kess is three and in love. Uh, The Doctor is jealous of Zaheer. He also takes a real Commander Data approach to being more human. Just being like, Gandhi was cool, I'll be Gandhi now. Yep. Hard to know what else we can consider from him in this episode since uh, he goes crazy almost uh, from the get-go. I mean, at least Data mostly mostly limits that to the violin. (laughs) That's right. That guy played the violin like this. Now I do. Uh, 
Janeway used to be the acknowledged master of the all-nighter at the Academy. She was also the only one who didn't seem real judgy about Kess's romance. Yeah. Um, oh, she's the only one who doesn't want to bang her. Well, there you go. Tom, we don't check in with Tom Paris in this one at all, but I'm sure he wasn't happy about it. Oh, you think so? But I have here written, I do not remember it, Little League rules, TP is not a bright man, just watches the doctor act like an insano in the turbo lift and laughs it off. Oh, no, no, yeah. I'm sorry. We don't check in with Tom Paris. <laughs> On Kiss. About, yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> with regard to Kiss. You're right. I don't remember the scene at all, but I guess, I guess he didn't notice the doctor was being crazy. When he leaves the holodeck and eventually, sorry, when he leaves the sick bay and eventually goes to the holodeck to tear up all of those uh, historical personages, right? He first sees a random ensign just walking oh, and around, he I fucks and the he shit just, out of her, just creeps on her. Ugh. And when he goes into the holodeck, I think he sets up an ambush where he pretends like he's going to go to deck fourteen, so that when she gets off on deck ten, she won't expect him to be right behind her. Ugh. But then Tom Paris comes in, and he's also going to deck 10 anyway. And he does not notice him acting like a fucking weirdo. Right. And he says, oh, where are you going at this hour? And the doctor says something like, work. <laughs> and then Tom Paris goes, <laughs> I know what you mean. It's always work. <laughs> All right, good. Well, you're real hunched over and sweaty. I'm, he doesn't say that. I'm glad you did the reenactment for me. It's like I watched yeah. it again. Um, Tuvok is like a weird overprotective dad, which is dumb. Why is Chaco with Sahir now? Again, Little League rules. Little League rules. Uh, I had it as a two. Mm. Oh, by the way, that two is just for Janeway not being a jerk. I see. I have written four. And I think it's because I think... uh, I thought Cass was fine in this one. Okay. And uh, as we know, she can be not fine. She can be very not fine, it's true. Just like, uh, this is not the best Kess acting that I've ever seen, which was when she was uh, food crazy. Oh, yeah. In, uh, co- that was early on. Colostrum? What was the name of that fucking Col- Colostomy, for sure. That was the it's one. Not. <laughs> I know which one you're talking about. The foot The foot episode. She did seem fucking crazy, too. Yeah, she uh, she played crazy real, real good that one, but uh, I thought she was fine in this one. Uh, obviously Schmollis is altered, so he doesn't, you don't get any points for that. His plan was dumb from the smart, the start rather. Uh, Janeway's barely in it, but she's fine when she's hanging around too. So I, I'm going to, you know, I'll keep my four. This episode's not going to score a lot of points. It's, it's not, it makes no difference. Yep. God, we've watched four and five from last weekend. They, um, mm. uh, they look like strong candidates to be four. Yeah, they four again. and five again. I have a feeling. Well, what about quick ones? Did you have any, uh, any of those good ones? Yeah, sure. Um, somebody, Matthew, wrote, Gandhi and Lord Byron are debating sex in the holodeck and then thought, this will be great. That's right. I'm keeping it. For sure, after they wrote that, they thought, yeah, 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 yeah. They went, oh, I'm keeping it. I'm not sure I'd let Bellana tinker with my program. I know she's the best engineer on Voyager, but this is not her lane. Oh, for sure. Um, Again. I would probably confine her to engineering. Do um, do the uh, McCall Travelers have Verinti disruptors? Did you notice the model? Or just the way somebody got uh, squelched to death with one? Uh, we never see anybody get shot with okay. one, but it looked like one. It could be. They're um, obviously uh, highly illegal in the Alpha Quadrant. 
uh, Tuvok is unsure about taking a course slightly away from the direct line to Federation space, but it's cool to hang out with these space weirdos for at least a week. Yeah, nothing about the mission and the way they've planned it ever makes any fucking sense. I mean, the guy's like, well, you're going to want to go here to stay away from the Takal, I don't remember, security forces. And uh, Tuvok's like... That is at least a month off of the direct course. to, And I'm like, dog, yeah, why do you f- you've been hanging out at this outpost for some time. This is what I'm saying. It's a very inconsistent approach. Remember that one where they aggressively violated that other alien's territory to get across yep. that narrow passage? And it, But then, like you said, they'll just spend fucking... They'll have fucking time jumps where they're hanging out at, at planets. And you're like, what the fuck is the mission? Are you going home or are you not? Kes goes to Janeway and asks for her sabbatical, and Janeway's like, oh, we're going to be here for, like, three more days. You have time to think what about it. What are they it. even don't, doing? Don't make up your mind right now. How's the Ferulium mining going? Are we going to hear about that? Is that what is that what Vorik is up to? Like, who's I doing it? I know got their lungs stolen this week, so we didn't hear about it. But, yeah, maybe that's where Vorik is. He, he ain't been around. He ain't been around this week. It's true. <clears throat> he's uh he's laying real low after what happened last time probably pretty embarrassing you know how embarrassed he was every time the doctor tried to ask him about sex he's that embarrassed still yeah uh so the bridge has an alarm for unscheduled transports but not one for phaser fire in the transporter room Mm. because uh harry kim knows right away when schmollis beams down with kess but not when he ices the transporter operator yep and then um Kale says something at the end that seems to suggest that she knows the doctor's into her, and then she announces that she's staying. Is that why? That would be very bad and dumb, right? Well, I uh, I know because of real world things, we're not going to have to worry about it for very long. I see. But yes, whatever the intention was, it doesn't seem great. I gave best actor to knowing look lady transporter chief. <laughs> yep. And worst actor to pervert Schmollis. Yeah, that's extremely deserved. Um, to be fair to this horny adventurer, Zaheer, she probably had not told him already that she's only three. No. I think that was something she was going to wait, wait to tell him about. I mean, what would, how would you handle this hypothetical scenario, Matt? Mm. She's like, uh, hey, I'm only three. And then you go, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> then I, yes. I'm three, I'm three years old. I'm like, oh, they tell time different. Like one of her years must be like. How many humans? Like years is seven that? or oh, no, eight of my years or something. It's three. Here's the thing: I might live nine years, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and I go. Oh, you know what? So um, three's an adult. I'm just gonna call it here. It doesn't seem like doesn't seem like we're a good fit. Would you be like, oh, you know what? Whatever's going on here, I don't want to have to explain this to people. That's right. Yeah, this is just a lot. I'm not invested yet. I'd rather not like, be. I I kind of I don't want to invite people to your fourth birthday party oh my god yeah because i wouldn't tell them on the invitation and they'd find out during the party yeah and then be like yeah but she's only gonna live to be nine i feel like that's just gonna (laughs) there's just gonna be more questions (laughs) all the looks that that say you're a monster will only get bigger and weirder when you say you're only gonna live to be nine yeah um i did have one moment of horror in this episode in this dumb horror episode I gasped in horror when I paused and saw there were still 11 minutes left. <laughs> I couldn't fucking believe that that could be true. I thought, is there like a special making of the episode featurette that is included in this time that's going to come after the credits? How could they not be within 10 minutes of finishing this episode? And then the rest went into my description of the episode. <clears throat> Just brutal. Really bad. 
Uh, and Ben chose not to favor us with any quick hitters, so we can call it there and move on to uh, number three from last week. Number three was Enterprise. Hmm. Uh, that's roughly where it belongs right now. That's where it's slot. That's where it's most comfortable. Uh, this week we watched Twilight. Before you get started, I did note that never has the fucking cheeriness of that song ever been so inappropriate. <laughs> no, Where it slots in the episode. Yeah, buckle up for this one, everybody. There's time stuff. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Archer wakes up with explosions rocking the Enterprise, and when he tries to leave his quarters, a security guard tells him the captain has ordered him confined. Mm. Uh, So he hits that guard and rushes the bridge, just in time to see Earth destroyed by a horrible sphere weapon, while Captain T'Pol, in a uniform with captain's rank and everything, looks on. Tell me you didn't immediately get some fucking um, Future Impossible vibes. I uh, my first thing that I wrote was uh, hold on my first quick hitter was oh no is this a future imperfect yes the actual episode title being future imperfect yeah <laughs> after the credits a gray haired archer wakes up in a strange room and uh, hears some sounds and follows it out to the kitchen where civilian clothes to Paul calls him Jonathan and promises she'll answer all his questions uh oh she asks him what the last thing he can remember is. So we're still doing Future Imperfect. Mm -hmm. And we flash back to 12 years prior when the ship was overtaken by an anomaly and T'Pol's leg got trapped under one of those falling bulkheads that never brings the rest of the structure down. Yeah. Just falls and pins someone's leg. Just the one bulk. It's not weight-bearing. Not load-bearing, that bulkhead. Right. He he stays to help her and uh, the anomaly washes over him. But not her. She, like, scrambles out of the way. I don't know. It's one of those small anomalies that was only the size of that hallway, really. Yeah. And um, then in Sick Bay, uh, Phlox reveals that this anomaly, unlike all of the others, left several clusters of parasites in his mind. Yeah. And they're not hurting him, but they're preventing him from forming any new long-term memories. He can remember things that happened before the anomaly, but he basically resets every night. I know we will definitely get into it, but is that better than just saying, you got uh, amnesia, you got the space amnesia. You hit your head and you got amnesia. Like, wouldn't that have been just as good as the fucking anomaly went through and gave you brain parasites? Anyway. I mean, brain parasites are much creepier than space amnesia. All right. So in the aftermath of that, uh, T'Pol and Trip tried for weeks to keep him up to date uh, and sort of give him command input as Flock looked for a cure. But eventually, uh, Admiral Forrest ordered T'Pol to take command of the ship. Mm-hmm. They found where the Zindi weapon was being built, but they were attacked and boarded, and T'Pol used one ship to ram the other. Yep. And the uh, uh, damage to the Enterprise meant that they couldn't they couldn't go faster than warp 1.7, and by the time they got to where the probe was made, the weapon had already been deployed. Earth was destroyed. All of the other human outposts were destroyed. <sighs> yeah, it's a real dark fewer, episode. Fewer than 6,000 humans survived. Archer and T-Pole are on SETI Alpha 5, huh. because Enterprise can't leave anything alone. Yep. 
uh, and Enterprise led a colony of sur- a convoy of survivors there. W- uh, during on en-, en route, Soval asked Paul to go back to Vulcan with him, and even offered to take Archer in and help him. But she didn't want to leave her crewmates behind, so now she's his caretaker there. Mm-hmm. It's the only convoy that made it to a new world. So. Uh, oh, and then she convinces Archer and I guess us that this is all real by sharing some personal information with him that I guess he told her on one of those days. Yeah. The many days that have passed since. It's been like 12 years. I'm not sure if I said that. Yeah, you did. It convinces him it means nothing to us. Right. But I guess we're... Yeah, exactly. He's convinced that this is all real now. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Today's a special day <laughs> yeah. because uh, our old buddy Flocks has arrived uh-huh. with the technology necessary to remove Archer's subspace parasites. But it can only be done with the power of the Enterprise's warp reactor. Which, and Enterprise, by the way, is just patrolling the system. Yeah. Where all of the last humans live. It's very um, Battlestar Galactica, though it probably came first. Uh, it didn't. Well, we'll talk. Oh, it did okay. and it didn't. We'll talk about it. All right. Um, so they head out to the enterprise uh archer is reunited with trip who's the captain and reed who's about to take command of the intrepid Mm -hmm. and hoshi uh and that's everybody right that's all of the crew (laughs) well i think nice boy mayweather ate it earlier on and then um yeah those other people never mattered right i I don't know did we see i think i think in the earth attack or in the attack where she rams the one ship into the other one in one of those we see nice boy mayweather go down hard Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought he wasn't in this one at all. They straight I up like it was a weird choice. They straight up didn't even want to give him any fucking future lines. They hate him so much. Uh, it seems like it. So, uh, as Flox is about to begin this procedure, Enterprise picks up a signature of a small one-man ship orbiting the sun, and they go and capture that ship, and it's got uh, some Uridian information dealer on board. That because, like all Tradotians. Right. The Uridians information are information dealers. And it turns out that this old boy was paid to keep a tail on flocks and follow him if he ever left Denobula. Mm. And this, of course, means the Zindi are on their way to wipe out the rest of humanity. Mm-hmm. But in sickbay, as flocks was trying to convince T'Pol to tell Archer how she feels about him. Yeah. Uh, it turns out they discover that the area that they have eradicated the parasites in Archer's brain now also shows clear on all of the earlier scans, uh, which means that it propagates backward in time because these things are outside of time. Great. So, if they can wipe out all the rest, they can alter history. Okay. Because for some reason, they are all convinced that the destruction of humanity is is T'Pol's fault. <laughs> essentially. <laughs> That's right. They don't say it to her. But all they ever say is, then we'll get the captain back, and then... Maybe none of this happens. Yeah. You know. That is definitely the operating theory. Because whoever the captain was, I, I'm not naming names. I don't even really remember who it was. Whoever the other captain was wasn't very good. That's all. So the, they want to finish this uh, procedure, but Trip won't let them. Because mm. they've got six Zindi ships incoming and Enterprise has to fight. And they do okay for a while. They've been upgraded with Andorian technology from uh, from old Shran. Old boy Shran, yeah. Uh, so they fight these guys off, but eventually the bridge is destroyed. Yeah. So that's the end of those guys. And, uh, and the chamber's also been damaged, so they've got one backup plan to destroy these parasites, and that is to trigger a subspace implosion. Mm. 
which of course will kill all of them also. Right. But maybe it'll undo everything. Yeah. Uh, Flox is killed by the borders. Then T'Pol is killed. And then Archer's hit, but he manages to trigger the explosion. Yeah. Enterprise is destroyed. The parasites are destroyed. He wakes up in sick bay back in the past. They do a little bit of a farce about how T'Pol would make a good nurse and the show's over. Yeah. Hmm. What's this one about, Matthew? Uh, another tough one. Uh, definite themes about the bonds that you forge give you strength to carry on. But I don't really know if there was a take or a takeaway. I don't, I, I'm going to go with no for now, unless maybe you have something that convinces me. For me, this was like, a, what if we do a cool what if story? I think. So I gave them one point for themes. Oh, one point for themes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, ben is a three. Okay. And his take is, in the end, our interpersonal relationships are what hold us together. So I'm sort of on the same path. He also thinks it's a window into the mind of an Alzheimer's sufferer, although it's kind of a Groundhog Day more than an Alzheimer's. Although there was one, there was a particular surgical case that this is based on. Oh, someone read someone something? Had, had damage and had, and every day uh, his nurse had to explain to him what had happened. I thought that's since, what the movie Fifty First Dates was based on. Yeah, maybe it's that too. <laughs> Did Adam Sandler write this? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think uh, Brandon Braga wrote this piece. Okay. Um. So I think this episode is a cautionary tale about putting personal relationships above your duty or your mission. Um. Archer chooses to stay with T'Pol when the anomaly is coming. All of humanity eats it real bad. <laughs> and then Flox's tireless commitment to fixing Archer's brain nearly dooms the rest of them. Yeah. But That's a negative. If Trip had let Phlox finish the mission instead of warping off to fight the Zindi, then humanity's salvation would have been less than a close call. So they don't. it's not even like they stick to that take. At the end, I could only give it one point. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. Not a lot going on in terms of a premise. In, uh, in terms of execution... Hmm. This episode has a reset button at the end, and I never love that. But unlike a lot of these scenarios, we're supposed to believe that this all happened in this timeline. Yes. This is not a... It's not a, like a... One of the many other kinds of fake-outs that these do. Right. It's not a holodeck scenario that the Zindi are running or anything like that. Yeah, it's not a future imperfect. It's not a, a alternate dimension. Right. So, this episode... Um, does do some work. It shows us the stakes of this mission. We learn the insane lengths the Zindi will go to if they're not stopped. Mm -hmm. How close Enterprise is to failing the mission. Like how much of a close thing it must be if replacing Archer with T'Pol is all it takes to doom them. Yeah, I mean, or if, depending on what you think of the metal of the the writers, maybe they won't succeed. Yeah, I guess it's I guess it's a possibility because, like you said, we do know about all of the other Star Treks that happen. <laughs> it's just, it seems like a small change, like you said. Yes, right. we know about the other Star Treks, so I guess they succeeded. But uh, we know that they, they must succeed because there are other Star Treks. But yeah, it's uh, um, at the end. The crew doesn't know anything about what almost happened, so uh, we're still in the dangerous situation. Like they didn't learn anything from this. Archer and T'Pol don't know about any of this. Yeah. He still has to do better than she did 
in her version of the timeline. Right. So that's all, that all works for me, but there is a big problem. Okay. And the problem is that the backward propagating subspace parasites falls apart if you think about it for literally one second. It's the problem of almost all time-related things on Star Trek. Yeah, they wrote themselves into this problem. And I think they thought they were being cute about it, but it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Why do Tipol and Phlox remember the other area? Yep. Why do they remember that it was ever there? He should look at it it and be like, nothing's changed. If it was, if it's changed to the point where it is no longer in the old computer records of the scans, mm-hmm. why do they still remember it? That's a good question. And also, did nothing else change as a result of having removed that cluster of parasites? Nope. Apparently, his memory worked exactly the same, and that's why he couldn't be captain anymore. So then, wouldn't Phlox have removed a different set of parasites with his first attempt? Because what did his procedure just do if they were never there? Yep. So in some sense, shouldn't they then all be gone? Shouldn't this have just looped until they were all gone? Yeah. Sure. Yes. Also, though, wouldn't they have been in Archer's brain since he was a baby? Well, they do go backward in time forever so, or whatever. So, um... Yeah. Not being able to form a long-term memory is probably disqualifying <laughs> as a starship captain. Just a theory of mine. Right. So everything we've seen up to this point wouldn't have happened if they worked this way. That's a pretty big problem for me. Okay, right. I gave it four points. And remember, please, that I actually kind of liked what this episode did with regard to this mission. You just wish they'd stay away from the fucking time. They just couldn't leave it the fuck alone. Yeah, they their way of avoiding time paradoxes is to have no one in the show question anything about them. Yep. That way they don't have to go down the fucking hole. Um... Did we say what Ben did on... Yeah, he had a three on the take and a five on execution. He liked the complexity of the storytelling. Uh, moving forward and backward being more interesting. Uh, he liked the desperation feel to the acting. I guess Tucker's acting when he's trying to keep the remainder of humanity safe. Uh, it's another back to the future. Earth really did get cracked up. And um, again, he had the same objection. He'd have been happier if they'd been doing like a mind control thing or something because time travel is done so crappy in Star Trek. So, um, The teaser really worked for me. It really set the tone. It was like, oh, okay, we're fucking in it now. Like, shit's going down. It was actually the first time this season that the dark tone of season three really worked for me. Probably because the stakes, as you said, start to become real. Immediate cut to... Yes. Like, oh, okay, hey, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, they do a decent job of hinting that they're going to be able to undo this timeline without explicitly stating the fact until Trip confronts Flox and Teepole in Sick Bay. Now, once the plan to undo everything is mentioned, it's clear they'll definitely succeed. And the last scene with everyone going down and Archer pushing the last dial with his dying breath that that comes off really cheesy. Um, uh, it's extremely hokey, and it didn't need to go that way, right? Because, like I like, said, hey, we saw that we saw stakes already. Yes, it was all of humanity was destroyed. And like I said, once they mention that they have a plan to undo everything, you then know that they will succeed in undoing everything. So there's no reason to kill off every single character. It's like we get it; they're gonna succeed. 
Um, still, the episode leaves the feeling that defeating the Zindi isn't necessarily going to be an easy thing, and that, again, the stakes are super, super high. So I thought overall it was very effective. Now, how do I feel about the bad time paradox? The bad I mean, handling one, of it. One approach that you could take that I didn't is just to say, that's Star Trek. Yeah, that's sort of how I initially felt about it, because I initially gave this a 7. I don't know. I don't feel inclined to argue you down. Yeah. It, it irritates me, but I am a for sure a pedant. I can't remember whether I've bothered to give a crap about this in the past. Um, I mean, we always shout at them, stop doing time travel. Yes, but they really should stop doing it. But I think normally I just let it go because they don't know how to do it. Like trusting these writers to get this right, that that's not going to happen. Um I'm going to keep it, um, just because overall I enjoyed watching it. I felt like it was, as far as Enterprise goes, it's, you know, up there in the ones that we've seen. Have you noticed that uh, Enterprise episodes without B-plots are better? Yeah, I think we've talked about it. When they focus on telling a story, it's better. I think DS9 could fucking learn something. DS9 is Jesus. in that kind of... They were definitely in that trouble with life support, for sure. Yeah. With the, I mean, life support scored decent. It was 39 points, but like... I didn't even bother to really the tell Jake the Nog B story. Shit was a real distraction. Yeah. Ugh. Um, world building. Okay, so now some of these anomalies leave parasites behind. So that's a new kind of anomaly continuity with their bad dumb mission to bug that zindi ship that didn't work at all they mentioned how they still can't find the ship in one of his briefings right 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 right. uh subspace buoys to communicate with starfleet in the expanse i thought they were explicitly out of contact with starfleet me too uh to the point where i wrote that in world building followed by a question but is that real yep I had that too. I was like, I'm confused by this because I thought really explicitly stated they were going to be on their own and out of contact. But uh, Mars, Alpha Centauri, Vega Colony, and all human or all are all human settlements at this point. SETI Alpha Five. I did say in my living room, this is SETI Alpha Five. SETI Alpha Five is a fun. It's okay because it does none of this counteracts anything that happens in those episodes sure. it is uh it adds some extra stakes for people who remember them because even if trip fights off the zindi at some point in the future seti alpha six is going to explode <laughs> yeah. and make seti alpha five uninhabitable in like a hundred years that's gonna be a tough 150 years a tough beat for the uh the last of humanity yep um in this timeline, the Zindi one... They don't know about Draylon 2 or whatever. No, they That they could just go there. Given that there are only 6,000 of them, I think they will never learn about Draylon 2. Yeah. Uh, in this timeline, the Zindi won and killed nearly every human. All Uridians are information dealers. Nobody ever shoots at the bridge in these shows, despite the fact that shelling the superstructure on enemy ships was definitely a viable strategy in surface warfare. Yeah, I mean, it's just they were hard to hit, right? Yeah. Where, but that's not a problem in space. If you got the problem, targeting the, the weapons. problem in space is shields, right? Yeah. So it was interesting to see the uh, Zindi just shoot straight at the fucking bridge once they got the shields down or whatever. Um, it was a, it was a three for me. It's hard to. 
I almost gave it a two because some of the stuff isn't going to end up happening, you know, because some of this is other timeline stuff. But, but yeah. how did you feel about it? Well, I had it as a three. Okay. Uh, ben has it as a five, by the way. Oh. Milla Cochran's is a unit of warp energy and Dorian's have shield technology and they shared it with the few humans left. You know, uh, uh, the timing's a little bit bad. They couldn't have shared that stuff before. You know, before all humanity got destroyed. Uh, Could have been more helpful, yeah, well, we Shran. We don't know what kind of influence Shran has, but the, in the in 10 years, probably giving shields to a, a scrappy little survivor race of 6,000 people is an easier political sell than giving them to... Oh, the sign-off is easier, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just saying, you know, thanks for the help, I guess. Uh, he says, thanks for invalidating the design of every starship in Star Trek by blowing the bridge clean off. Mm. Uh, Vulcan's not doing anything to help the remaining humans, it appears. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm a three. Because, again, some of those things don't happen. But, obviously, we have to now take that Enterprise is still in contact with Starfleet. We don't know any details about it. Whether it's difficult. Yeah, all we hear is subspace buoy. Yeah. Um, the Enterprise can make warp 1.7 with one nacelle. It's not bad. It's not too bad. I'm super glad that these guys didn't go, well, they can do warp five, right? So two and a half, warp two and a half. <laughs> I can imagine that's how it works. That they fucking like thought, thought about it like, well, that can't be. Yeah, I don't imagine a uh, like an A-10 with one wing is going to make very good speed. Uh, the big thing here is... That the Zindi are the showing the Zindi's determination to wipe out all of humanity. Yeah, I think that's the big piece we take away from this episode. I think we've talked about it before. The information they got from whoever gave them, it must have been so good. It must have been not just convincing, but also vague enough that they are like, we cannot take a chance of like any fucking humans being around. Because he told us in a way that convinced us for sure that humanity was going to cause our extinction. But I guess he didn't tell us whether we, sh like, if they're if we destroy their planet and all their outposts, if that's good enough. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. It seems like it should be, but I guess maybe it's not. We better play it safe and kill all of them. Yeah, it must have been. It must have been interesting. Yeah. I wish we could see it. Yeah. Oh, well, no, they do a real bad job. They <laughs> I don't want to see more, actually. Don't show us any more. Ben's a five on characterization. He says Archer acts like an asshole, but it's really mostly the parasites. I just thought Archer was pretty well behaved, given the shit that's going on. Also, given what we know about Archer. Yeah. Sometimes he's an true. asshole for no reason at all, so. Uh, Margaret Mullen. Uh, Archer can take a phaser hit that would normally kill a man. He's just very hurt. And then another one. <laughs> he still pushes that last dial. Yep. Uh, Trip as the new captain he liked. To Paul and Archer, Phlox is a good friend, etc. Mm -hmm. He's a five on characterization. Uh, I'm a six. Okay. Uh, Archer's the one person we don't learn a, like a ton about. We learn some things. Like, we know that he tries to be helpful for a long time when he gets this affliction. He doesn't just sulk about it. Right. Of course, he's willing to blow up the ship to save everything, etc. Yeah. Also, he's never more than a day away from telling T-Pole about his old girlfriend. I guess, yeah. 
Like uh, that one couldn't have been too hard to get at. Yeah, they, she she got to it in one day on some sometime. It actually would have been fitting if uh, in that last scene in Sick Bay or whatever, where he's just like, "Did I ever tell you I almost got married?" Because <laughs> that's how close he is to telling her. That's true. Um, uh, Tapal obviously comes off pretty well in this one. She, it, this is sort of a, a final acknowledgement that she has worked out what it means to be friends, maybe even fall in love. Mm-hmm. Um, Trip seems to have hardened from his long time on patrol that it, he did. He's not doing a lot of character work there, but everything that's in it makes sense. Sure. Uh, Reed has developed throat polyps. <laughs> that seems to be his main character change. Yep. He's got a dumb beard and mustache and he tries to talk in a deeper register, which doesn't make sense. Cause he's an adult already right that's like when yeah. they uh, made wesley that big strapping man and you're like you don't think <laughs> he's like, gonna that's look not what that grows up to look yeah, like that guy's like 15 or 16 right like he's probably gonna look a lot like that a lot like how he looks now he's not gonna look like a completely different person yeah if you had a picture of me at 16 you wouldn't have a hard time figuring out that that's what me. i'm saying i like later on like you have you ever seen this? You ever seen this thing at work where it's like uh, everyone sent in their baby pictures? Oh and yeah, then it's like super obvious who is who. Yeah, we did that one time one of my jobs, and it was very obvious. It's super easy to tell. People look like themselves even when they're very young. Yeah, but not Wesley. In DS Nine, there will be an episode later on that I actually like, and now we will find out when we get to it uh, whether it's going to have to be considered a guilty pleasure. Uh, or whether it's art, but where uh, an adult Jake, Jake, who's nearly an adult, is played by Tony Todd. Tony Todd. I remember that. And you just go, that, that was the case. Really? <laughs> Jake it turns doesn't into seem to- likely. When's Jake going to turn into Tony Todd? You know, so they make Alexander grow up to be... Yeah, what's his name? Uh, James Sloyan, of course. <laughs> Good, I'm glad you remember now. Jatrell. Uh, known most recently as uh, Aladar Gerald. Uh-huh. Um, Jatrell, yeah, exactly. His, his signature but role, Jatrell. Alexander, the actor that plays him is six, and he's mostly uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. head makeup. Look, you're going to need an adult actor to play that guy. And when they bring that guy back in his 50s, you're like, eh, yeah. I don't know, maybe Alexander grew up to look like that. Yeah, it could be. Shit, who knows? Right. But Jake and Wesley, and uh, yeah, what are you doing, Reed? What's going on with you? Um. Yeah. So, but I'm a six. I thought the characterization was actually pr- pretty much on in this in this episode. Okay. Uh, it's just, you you can't give a ton of credit for, for Archer. Archer's the one who doesn't really change. Yeah, he doesn't get a chance to. Um, obviously, these are always in real time. So I said, I'll take characterization notes until it's clear what's happening here. Because I didn't remember when this started, whether this was a, a future imperfect scenario. Right, whether we're doing a tasty fake. Exactly. Um, no emotion T-Pole certainly reacts to a broken leg like any human would. She doesn't, like, pull up uh, Spock. I imagine Spock would just lay there and go, I'm in intense pain, doctor. <laughs> but she, like, uh, yells out and stuff. I mean, which Spock? Definitely the Spock at the start of Star Trek Four would. Yes. <laughs> the one who... Um, he doesn't understand the but question. Not, but not probably not Spock from Star Trek 2. I do not understand the question. The compu- You're half human, Spock. You're the, half computer human, Spock. the computer knows that. The computer knows that. 
God, that's, I, I wish we could. Hey, do that. if we ever have, if we ever have any reason to do a bonus episode, just doing Star Trek Four oh, would be yeah. amazing. Just an amazing good time. It's actually, a good idea if we ever want to take a week off from this shit. <laughs> oh man, just throw in a Star Trek Four bonus pod. And then the next time we do one, we can do Star Trek One. <laughs> go back the other way. <laughs> And here's yeah. a really bad one. Oh, one's not the worst one. No, no, Five's no. the worst Five one. is objectively the worst. I mean, rocket boots. That's all I'll say. Um, <laughs> uh, T-Pole at this point is not like other Vulcans. Like, she's been segregated from Vulcans and stuck on this ship for long enough that she, like... it's This episode makes it entirely clear that she's not like um, Am- Ambassador What's-His-Name, for one thing. Yeah, she's also had a couple of bad experiences with orthodox vulcans mm-hmm. yeah she's coming it's to not, see them the way archer at this sees point, them i don't think she even wants to be like other vulcans yes exactly she's i think she's fully broken away both in the real time and then obviously especially in the future she finds it very important to keep archer in the daily briefings and has a weird life bond with him all because of maybe guilt about him saving her life and getting fucked up maybe because she's in love with him who knows when that starts and go and and develops um so that's not anything that a Vulcan would be into. Uh, I loved her using that one Zindi ship as a melee weapon against the other. <laughs> yeah, me too. Trip gets real <laughs> mad about it later, but I was like, "Fuck it, man!" Like they lost their weapons. I also thought that was. I thought I, I, when I wrote it in my description, I wrote she she rams one into the other, mm-hmm. and then I wrote, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's a good way to go. Um, and it looks like all of the trauma of the Expanse leaves. Uh, Tipol basically human in emotion and temperament. She resigns as captain in order to take care of Archer. Phlox implies she has feelings for Archer in the future. Which is kind of weird because of his state that he's in. Isn't it kind of weird? Yeah. Well, it is and it isn't, right? So, like, one thing that she never has to deal with... this is We're going into this too deep for this, but she never has to deal with him changing and evolving. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's the same every day. That's true. But he's still Archer every day anyway. Yeah. <laughs> every day he'd be like, God, this fucking guy. She's gotten really good at explaining to him what happened. Yeah, she does it over breakfast like a boss. Who's going to get mad about like a good breakfast? Be like, okay, I'm pretty pissed off Earth was destroyed, but like these eggs are on point. It's a good point. Um, like, damn, is this just regular breakfast sausage? Why does it taste so good? It's like really fun. It's like the best sausage of it. Chef can't make sausage. Like, oh, chef's dead, huh? Oh, oh Jeff is. Oh, they're all dead. <laughs> um, Trip gets real shitty when his best friend goes down. Uh, and future Trip is real shouty like Archer used to be. And he nearly sacrifices the possibility of a long-term fix for the certainty of a heroic sacrifice, which isn't great. No, but we've seen that Trip is not as good a captain even as Archer. No, it's like he tried to learn from Archer, but never really mastered Archer's unique command style do you remember when archer calls him to task uh because of his jesus uh interference with the third in that weird polyamory episode god yes fuck is the name of that episode yeah the one where the he teaches it to read or whatever and it kills itself yeah, exactly. Okay, I know what you're and talking Archer's about. like, I can't believe you would do this. And Trip just swallows it and doesn't say it's exactly what you would <laughs> have done. It's 100% what you did three weeks ago when we met these other aliens that were the same. 
Like I'm literally right now I'm, I feel bad and I'm conflicted and I'm not sure I did the right thing. But one thing I'm <laughs> damn sure of is it's what you would have done. Yeah. yeah. He did a good job of not saying that. It yeah. must've been hard for him. Um, the shitty Vulcan ambassador wants to forgive t but he still shits all over humanity. Um, Archer is like a warp engineer and not just a pilot. I guess because of his dad? I mean, his dad also, he really oversaw the building of that ship. We saw that in First Flight. Yeah, because he's like... I think they had a lot of system stuff, too. He's got engineering ideas for Trip that Trip implements and enjoys, so... That doesn't bother me because, like, all of those early astronauts were engineers, too. Sure. Um, it kind of makes sense for the first few captains to have, like, way more knowledge of how the ship would work than the eventual mainstream ones. Right. Uh, he also almost got married to some biddy in San Francisco before his Starfleet shit got serious. Um, yeah, but shit was the opposite of, uh, we'll always have Paris. Uh because she, she's the one. She didn't want to do she's it. She's the one who goes into the holodeck in the future. I forget. And flirts with hollow teenagers or whatever's happening. Did he show up that day or did he not show up? He did not show up because he was afraid. Okay. He's a virgin. We've talked about it. <laughs> this time, though, uh, Archer Archer did. They did meet up and she just said, nah, though. Nah, it's good. It's cool. I was actually kind of looking forward to having some time to myself. Space sounds crazy and you're definitely going to die up there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, Phlox still checks in on Archer and has spent his life working on a cure. Um, hate his greasy-ass nasty hair, though. That gave him, like, a future mullet. I'm counting this stuff because we are led to believe it all really happened in a timeline. So the, uh, these are the actual feelings, motivations, and responses this crew has under the circumstances that created this timeline. It was a five for me. Okay. Um, Ben... Ben has, so this is like first dates meets back to the future. Yep. This one really sets Archer at, uh, Archer as a hero because in the alternate future, the same crew fails miserably, but we have to believe that he will succeed. Yep. That's essentially it. We reached the same conclusion that uh, whatever it is about Archer is better than whatever it is about T-Pole for this mission. Yeah. She tells uh, Trip when he tells her this, every decision that she's made as captain has gone wrong for them, that she was always being logical so there you go guess she hasn't learned that one yet <laughs> yeah it's comforting uh you must have some quick hitters though yeah just a couple um uh, oh yeah see here i have oh no nice boy mayweather died already they hate giving him lines huh because it was like four minutes into the episode uh those makos have like no peripheral vision the Zindi, oh, yeah. like, are just walking toward them in this hall on their flank, and they do not sense anything is happening. The Makos routinely do worse than the regular Enterprise security. <laughs> yeah, what's the deal the with show? that? <laughs> we don't need those they guys. Can, is it because they did not have a starship to actually train in, and they're just, like, constantly lost and disoriented? It's because they're afraid the ship's going to get all twisted, and then the corridors won't, oh, God, they won't go yeah. to the right place. It's going to get really confusing. So they have a rational starship fear. Uh, really, the rest... Jane Whales sit up and say, Check Burns' suit. <laughs> <laughs> that really... That happened! She did a backwards 
fucking uh, Twin Peaks bullshit talk. <laughs> yep. God, Twisted. Sorry, yes, I'm more comfortable with The Simpsons, but yes, it was Twin Peaks, you're right. God damn it, Twisted. I can't believe it's a real episode. Just like this bad Jekyll and Hyde episode was a real episode. Son of a bitch, Voyager. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the rest of the stuff I really, I we already talked about. Yeah, and I don't have much extra for quick hitters. Uh, obviously, T'Pol's been cutting Archer's hair. <laughs> yeah. He does. And that's fine. Why wouldn't she? It's, it's one haircut she knows really well. Yeah. Uh, and then I didn't see it, so I wrote, did Mayweather die? Archer doesn't ask where he is and no one explains <laughs> it to him. <laughs> it's like, that's like how I always fear that I've missed something in uh, in the TOS or something. Yeah. It was just like, like oh, Archer he knows his up. name is Gorgon now. I must have missed it. <laughs> Talks to talks to Trip. <laughs> talks to uh, talks to Reed. Says hi to Hoshi. Doesn't even look for Mayweather. Nope. <laughs> nope. She must have told him over breakfast. I guess so. Um, I gave best actor to uh, Ponytail T. Paul and worst actor to I'm older now. Reed. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Battlestar Galactica. Oh yeah, right. This has an obvious Battlestar Galactica feel. Yeah, and even in the new Battlestar, they have a whole season where they go to some planet and the one of the ships just the ships just hang out in orbit, protecting them or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, you're right that this came out before the reboot. Okay. Uh, however, someone on the writing staff, I don't remember which one, one of the big names, maybe Brandon Braga again, mm. had read the pilot. For Battlestar Galactica. Ah, and he thought, wait, hey, we could do something like that. So some, so the convoy yeah. was a deliberate Battlestar. And of course, Battlestar Galactica had existed previously. Yeah, in the 70s. So the convoy stuff was a deliberate nod to Battlestar Galactica. Oh, that makes which sense. Which, of course, was written by their old buddy, Ron Moore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, greatest of his race, Ron Moore. <laughs> well, bravest, certainly. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want to give him that much. But yeah, he's probably the bravest. I guess he's pretty brave. <laughs> He was brave well, to make he step the, into the sands of blood or not. He was brave enough to make the the only characteristic of the villain in that fuckbook show rape. Oh, okay. So every plot, it's just who's getting raped this week. Anyway. Um I didn't see a villain when I watched it. I just saw the French king trying to shit and <laughs> a woman being taught about shaving her pubes. <laughs> and you thought, well, that's a no. I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna go ahead and pass. It wasn't as offensive as I thought. I'm just gonna pass. I can, uh, even if I wanted to, I could find tits elsewhere. It's not hard. Oh, for sure. Yeah, don't watch for the tits. Um, that's three of three down, second, right? Second place last week was Deep Space Nine. Okay. This week we watched Heart of Stone. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent, with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Odo and Kira are in a runabout, headed back to DS9 after reviewing security procedures at a Bajoran colony near the Cardassian border. They begin to chase a suspected Maquis raider who's just attacked a freighter. Credits. They follow the Maquis ship into the Badlands, and uh, the raider apparently lands on some moon. Uh, they can't get their sensors, like, to work, so they have to go down there and try to chase the dude on foot. Odo and Kira realize they may have landed on a seismically unstable moon, and the caves are in danger of coming down around them. 
They make the curious decision to split up so they can find the Maquis faster. Um, yes. It's not smart. It's not smart. Kira. It's not smart what they did. Within seconds on the screen, I don't know if any time passed, but within seconds on the screen, Kira calls Odo and says she's in trouble. Uh, her foot is stuck in a rock, but it ain't like a regular type rock. It's growing over her leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Odo. Hey, have we ever seen rocks that can grow before? <laughs> Just a couple of times on this okay. show. It's interesting because Odo and Kira act like they have not. I know. Some kind of special growy rock. Um, Odo can't break her out. The thing even feeds on the rays of her phaser. Sure does. Odo still isn't having... Oh, by the way, I split this into two. I split it into A plot, B plot. Yeah, why not? Uh, Odo still isn't having any luck either beaming Kira out from the runabout or communicating with DS9. Um, when he gets back to the cave where she's stuck, he hears a firefight. And Kira explains that he, he just missed that Maquis who fired at her. He definitely tried to kill her. Mm-hmm. He's definitely there and is definitely a separate person. Yep. Um, Even though you never see them together. Odo te- Or the, you never see the other one at all. Odo, That's true. Odo tells Kira he read about some Nausicans breaking into a museum built out of crystals and starts to build a machine capable of doing the same thing. He doesn't just uh, tell her and get started, though. He has to do a thing where he's like, do you ever read the security reports? Bro, I'm not going to lie. They put hey. so much effort into the dialogue in this episode, I actually appreciated it. Hey, my foot's trapped in a fucking rock. <laughs> it's true. He does approach it kind of slow. <laughs> I can tell from what you're saying that you have an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great, 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 great. What is it? Uh, they do some small talk about Chief O'Brien and the rocks start falling again. Odo becomes a shield dome thing to protect her and the work continues. A cool ability he's definitely always had. <laughs> yep. Odo's at the point of giving up on this solution, and the crystal's, like, up to her neck. Uh, they chat some more, and Odo and Kira are about to say the big goodbye. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Kira orders Odo to leave the moon, but he refuses and even resigns his commission. He tells her he can't leave her behind because he's in love with her. Kira says... He doesn't just say he loves her, he specifically says he's in love with her. Well, he's observed humanity, and he knows that's always how it is said. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kira says she's in love with him too But Odo's detective senses kick in And he starts to put together some things that ain't right The Maquis should have hit her if he shot from where she said he did That huge and conclusive evidence Plus Kira admitting that she loves him Made him awfully suspicious The fake Kira gives up almost immediately And oh dag, it's a changeling I mean, it's the changeling It's the lady changeling we know so well Uh, The one he fucked. They in this quadrant for real, I guess. And they're paying close attention to Odo. Um, Now they know why he didn't come back home with them earlier. It's because he's in love with Kira. Uh, Odo threatens her with violence when she claims that no changeling has ever harmed another or whatever. Uh, But he convinces her to give back Kira. She basically says, she's in the other room, yoink! Um... Uh, so anyway, she tells him uh, Kira will never love him, and she beams out. Odo rescues Kira, and they dick back off to DS9. Odo doesn't reveal to Kira what the changeling said to tip him off, says it wasn't important. Not, o- not only that, but they don't appear to have told anyone, A, changelings are around. Yeah, it seems like an important security situation. 
B, they're a lot better at impersonating people than Odo. Like, seriously, I thought for, like, fucking 18 hours or whatever that this was definitely Kira. <laughs> like, it's like, I was hey, really fooled. I know Kira really well. Like, we're best friends, and this lady and had like, me going I for a I don't want to go into day. it, but I pay a lot of attention to what she says and does. <laughs> uh, I was fooled, for, like, for a long time. So, like, maybe... I just, I guess surrender is what I'm saying. Maybe just surrender? We gotta start thinking about this problem, huh? Uh, B-plot. Yeah, meanwhile, Nog goes to Ops to see Captain Sisko. He brings him a bribe, and he asks um, if he could be Sisko's apprentice. Um, he brings him a shitload of money, oh, right? Well, this is the problem. We always are confused about what each amount of Latin is. Why couldn't remember when uh, Quark had six bars of latinum to his name? Mm-hmm. That wasn't that long ago, and it was kind of unbelievable that he had six whole bars. Nog dumps what appears to be about eighty pounds of this stuff <laughs> on right. on Cisco's desk, and I guess that there's some leeway. Maybe a bar is really big, and those were strips. I don't know. I have no clue. But it looks like a lot of money. And where does Nog have money from? I know he just got bar mitzvahed. Uh, but maybe they've sold all that land and they oh right with the yamak sauce maybe that was worth a lot i don't actually remember um the the no j consortium yeah where that guy is obviously selling to kids and for some reason doesn't think it's weird at all um anyway he brings him a bribe and asks if he can be his apprentice uh he wants to be the first ferengi in starfleet uh i guess he's an adult now and he has to choose uh a master to, to apprentice for uh, Cisco says he'll consider giving Nog a recommendation to Starfleet Academy, and he keeps the bribe? I, well, I mean, Nog won't take it back. He says, uh, you gotta take it back, and Nog goes, no thanks. And then Cisco just goes, alright. Huh. <laughs> I guess I'm rich. Guess, guess I'm paying in cash at the Klingon <laughs> That's restaurant. That's right. Uh, Rom and Nog are trying to fix a broken replicator, and Quark treats him like shit, as always. Um, Jake comes in and tells Nog he he told his dad that Nog's request was just a joke. Nog flips out and tells him to go fix it, but he won't reveal why he's suddenly so interested in joining Starfleet. Um, Nog confronts Cisco about his Starfleet Academy recommendation, and Cisco says, uh, "Look, dude, you got a bad reputation here. You're you're fucking always in trouble." Hey, we've seen the Academy test. Yeah. At some point, shouldn't Cisco have said... You can't read. You, you can barely read. You can't read, bro. Nog, this... Nog, it's a hard test. Can you do math? I don't know if they ask any reading questions. Do you know math? They're gonna ask like, math. I know you can do arithmetic, but... Like, yeah, I, there's... Do you, have you done calculus? Because there's gonna be... It's gonna be there's some, a calculus part of the test. Can you do sequences in the series? Man, I seen this blue guy, and you know if he's blue, he's hella smart. And he, like... Didn't know what <laughs> they was no happening. Blue dummies. Yeah, the no blue dummies in the quadrant, and this guy had no fucking idea what was happening on this test. He needed some help. Um. Anyway, uh, he tells him he's got a bad reputation, and why? Why would he? Why would he recommend him for Starfleet? And why does he even want to go to the academy? Yeah, he agrees to um, agrees to give him a chance anyway, and gives him the task of uh, doing inventory on Cargo Bay Twelve. Yeah, it's a real softball. He must know this is the one thing Rom Nog can certainly do. Yeah, he's been doing this for his uncle for exactly. however long or whatever. So yeah, he wants to help him, clearly. 
Um, but it's also uh, it's also an honesty it's an honesty test because he is a thief. Yeah, and he is sending them to uh, the place to steal from. Yep. Uh, Dax brings that up, and he's like, "Nah." If I've learned one thing from Starfleet captains, so you definitely it's, give your adversary a chance to fuck you. Material over. is is worth nothing and is expendable. <laughs> That's right. Uh, anyway, he does a good job on this cargo bay thing, and Cisco eventually calls him back into his office and get, tells Nog he's turning him down, and he gives him hard-ass Cisco routine in order to bring out the true motivation for Nog's request. Nog finally admits it's because he doesn't want to end up like his dad. Smart, possibly a murderer, but weak and bad at making money. <laughs> you mean because he tried to space cork? Yeah. I mean, he, didn't he also plant a bomb? That's right, he did. I mean, he's really, I think he's an attempted murderer. Uh, uh, yeah, they soften the romp's personality quite a bit I, once he meets Lita and settles down. I mean, even this episode, you start to go, wait a minute, what? It wasn't that long ago where he was like pulling him out of school and talking about how no human was going to teach him or whatever. Yep. Um, well, he, look, he went to the Klingon planet and watched Quark marry a Klingon and everything. So like. That's <laughs> right, he's cultured now. He's had, he's done some growing up. Uh, anyway, uh, he says that, uh, his dad could have been a good engineer. He just is, doesn't have the lobes for business and Nog doesn't want to follow the same path. So Cisco agrees to help him get his shot at the Academy or whatever. Uh, Quark forbids it, but Rom gives his consent. And so I guess it's a done deal. So I guess we're going to get a lot more Nog. Anyway. He had been absent until last week. Yes. When he... Uh, that B-plot that we didn't want to talk about happened. When he was talking about how females shouldn't be allowed to wear clothing and they should chew his food. Anyway, uh, he's college is going to change him. That's all I'm going to say about mm-hmm. it. Uh, what was this episode trying to say? Uh, life isn't like detective books that Chief O'Brien gives you. Oh... Kira, um, Odo knows that Kira can't be in love with him, even though the scene plays out like a movie romance. Yeah. He knows because he knows. Sure. Uh, So it's like, uh, cliches aren't real. Uh, The problem with that is that uh, uh, the same writers give Nog a super cliche motivation for wanting to be in Starfleet all of a sudden. Right. And also, Odo doesn't recognize how odd the situation he is in is until the very end but poe buddy's nerfed i gave it four points <laughs> cool uh ben gave this one a five with uh you can't tell a book by its cover judge usually yes uh looking at odo the amorphous bucket person you couldn't tell that he actually has deep feels and that he or that he keeps locked away presumably in a heart of stone Nog, despite the anti-Ferengi bias everyone seems to naturally have, is actually... That's a Neil Young song, right? Heart of Stone. Um, Is that like... um, Down by the River? Is is there not one called Heart of Gold? Is there one called... um, Ruby's in the Sand? Listen, I don't know. (laughs) Oh... I have exhausted my Neil Young. I'll just can I just shout Crazy Horse? There you go. Yeah, just say yeah, say Crazy Horse, and you're good to go. Yeah. I think. Uh, he I says fine take, but done with a good sci-fi bent. So it was a five for uh, Ben. I agreed. I gave it a five with words are hollow without context. It was my way of linking these two dumb plots. Yeah, I see it. Uh, I see it. Cisco won't believe Nog 
wants to join until he understands why. Mm-hmm. And? And, of course, uh, Odo knows from her actions that Kira doesn't love you her. You nailed it. Also, her boyfriend died last week. <laughs> Seriously. She, the last time we saw Kira, she was crying as he died. Yeah, she was doing a real nana. And also tell, telling, <laughs> telling him her life story. Yes. <laughs> uh yeah so it was a it was a five for me kind of um it's almost an aphorism n- not a hot take but i guess it's true right yeah so, yeah that's sort of the best we can do sort of a low bar to clear but there you go um um did they clear a low bar on execution also? hell yeah they did they cleared right. it to the score of an eight <laughs> yeah if you're gonna do a star trek romance this is as good a way to approach it as any Unrequited love works better with the uber serious character Star Trek develops. It gives them something to brood about. Yeah, um, sure. It's nowhere near as hateful as like watching the actual dalliances happen. Yeah, and also they don't make Odo one of these uh, crazy people like the one who came on to Odo a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> sure. Or the one who was all over Schmollis. Yep. Who like no, but I'm a crazy weirdo just like you, so we have to love each We're other. We're both weirdos. Um, and this is probably um, Aubergine's best acting to date. Yeah, I thought he did a good job this week. You can tell the actor's all in, probably because it gives him something to play in every scene forever from now on. At least until they, like, you know, finally do it. Yeah, he's been working this actor's secret already for a few episodes. And now he can, like, and- ramp it up. It's already out there a little bit because Loxana Troy has already asserted that he was in love with her. Mm-hmm. With Kira, I mean. Uh, but now that he has said the words, even though Kira didn't hear them. Yeah. You can bet we're going to get Renee knows. Renee knows he's going to. Yeah. He's going to run with this. So he commits. Uh, Nana was mad, but she also wasn't really playing Kira for most of the episode. Um, God, this is also the best Nog episode yet, and even though it's kind of out of left field that he wants to join Starfleet, at least they bother to give him a motivation, unlike most characters in Star Trek. Like, do we ever know why Captain... Well, okay, I guess we know why Picard's in Starfleet, but, like, do we know why Riker's in Starfleet? Uh, He hates his dad. I know that. His dad's, like, a Starfleet-adjacent guy. Yeah, now. Like, do... But he wasn't expecting him to show up, right? He's some kind of Starfleet. He's some kind of Federation diplomat, though. So it's like, yeah, I guess. Um, but like, why is um, I don't know why are any of them in Starfleet? Why is Jordy in Starfleet? Because his parents were. I don't know. So what I'm saying is, yeah. So it, like, Wesley eventually rejects his Starfleet. God, is this a huge spoiler? For who? We don't care about that. Spoilers. <laughs> rejects his his Starfleet destiny. Yeah. A thing that everyone has assumed he would want to do, right? And he just sort of went along with. But that's the closest we get. Yeah. So it's like, it, it, it's out of nowhere, and it is kind of cliche, but at least he now has a motivation. Like, we know why he wants to be in Starfleet. Um, and you said that this was his best episode in yet. Uh, would you be surprised to know that that scene where he tells Cisco what his motivation is, is his favorite acting scene of his entire career? Well, it's better than any of the stuff he does during the Great Space War to come. Would it also surprise you to know that it was not scripted for Cisco to grab him by the shoulders and pull him up and shout why at him or whatever? <laughs> no, that, that Avery Brooks just, just Avery did Brooks it? Going off the chain? He did a shat? 
Yeah, I love you shattered it. it up. Ah, wow. You so you dig you dug deep on this one. No, nah, I mean it's just red memory alpha. Um Yeah, so I mean it's even the major issue here for uh for Nog his motivation. So um I wasn't even mad about his plot for once. So aside from not having like a strong take to execute on, I don't have a lot of notes for this episode. Uh, Ben's a six. Okay. This is his pick of the week. No surprise. Okay. He has some questions. Uh, why would two people in a runabout go after a Maquis ship? Yeah. Or, I mean, like, he only ever tries to contact Starfleet after he's stuck on that fucking moon. Yeah. They should have sent, dropped a line. Yeah. Before they went down there for sure. Uh, good reveal about the secret love for Kira. Good acting by the founder to trick Oda for quite a while. Yeah, unfortunately, it's kind of hard to believe. Yeah, how does she fucking, how she know Kira so good? Yeah, that's one of my issues with the episode. Uh, On the other hand, this is a crazy stunt by the founder for a pretty uncertain payoff. (laughs) Yep. Um, What if Oda was a real shoot first and ask questions later kind of dude, and he bumped into her in that fucking cave and just blasted her? uh, He says the the Nog storyline works probably because it's played straight. There's no Ferengi antics at all. It's true. So those, you know, they treat them like people. That's true. That is better than treating them like nasty stereotypes. Uh, I, oh no, Landry has crashed on me. I got it. Hold on. What do you want? Uh, so I got it. Okay. I gave this one a five. Oh, you were just trying to record so, the score. Yeah. What's the unspoken rest of the changeling plan? Yeah. She gets Oda to leave, believing Kira's dead, and and then what? Squeeze the real cure up with rocks and leave her there? Probably. I mean, she wouldn't take really... Her probably leave her in that little fucking thing she's in, I guess. T- take her with her into the Gamma Quadrant? What if Odo does show up? Uh, the return of the Founders is nice after a few weeks of the Dominion not being mentioned, but the episode ends so lightly. <laughs> yeah. Despite the fact that her tremendous mimicry powers, this huge existential threat has now been revealed yeah you're right in a few episodes i don't know how long in a certain amount of episodes it's going to become a real existential threat to the federation that they are around and very good at pretending to be admirals right (laughs) but at this point it's but this point it's nothing yes um also here we have a nog heavy episode that only has like one jake scene in it though logically it should be him who figures out what nog's motivation is it's true jake acts like kind of a jerk and then disappears from the episode yeah, he just he just laughs at Nog and then leaves. Yeah. Uh, another problem is Nog makes it very clear why he doesn't want to be a Ferengi businessman. Yeah. He doesn't make it clear at all why he wants to go into Starfleet. Yeah. Like, out of the entire universe of possible careers, why Starfleet? Is it because he thinks he could be an engineer like his dad? Well, he doesn't say that. And also, this uh, they don't even have an officer in charge of engineering on this station. Yeah, they just got so. fucking sweaty old Colm Meany. Right. And uh, by the way, another episode that he's basically not in because the, when they were writing it, they weren't sure he wanted to stick around. Uh, so we're going to get a lot of those for a little while. We're going to get a couple more of them for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think Cisco should be smarter than that and they just because there are the episodes already over cisco's just like you're getting that letter of recommendation instead of being like instead of yeah okay but okay i understand that that all makes sense why starfleet yeah you could be anything you could join the nybride alliance ask for if it's great 
you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, no, yeah, you're yeah, you're not wrong about that. I can only assume it's because, as we've talked about a few times, we are still very much in the it's good to be in Starfleet era. Like, it's good to be the sure. Federation. He probably just looks around and goes, well, is that going to be Ferengi stuff? I guess yeah, it should be Starfleet even, stuff. I doesn't even just move to Earth and open a bar. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, business don't do matter. It. They'd let him live on Earth. Who gives a shit? And business doesn't matter because there's no economy. Uh, so I'm a five. The The episode it mostly works, but it's I, the changeling plot doesn't make sense. Odo and Kira are very... Well, I guess just Odo. Odo's a very slow thinker. Mm. And... Uh, it would have been better if Nog was the A plot and we spent a little more time with it. Yeah, you can can you drop mine to a seven? It's true that some some more should have been made about this changeling thing. Or what he should have done I mean, if they weren't gonna make anything out of it, he shouldn't have told Kira about it. He should have been like, Oh, that Maki Raider who tied you up. <laughs> oh yeah, then it'd be weird why Zoto keeping this a secret. He, he got he got away. He got he got away and um I guess that's how the Maquis are, you know. Not change legs, the Maquis. They're slippery. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the- and they always look the same, and <laughs> and they can never become a one, rock. One thing about them is I, I, I wouldn't talk to them. I'd never talk to one. I'd never yeah. be in a cave with one. And don't ever say that I would. <laughs> you know me, I care about justice. Yeah, that would have been better, I guess, than this, where these just like... I don't know when you want to. Do you want to go talk to Cisco about it? Nah, let's get lunch first. It's probably not a big deal. Uh, Ben's a five for world building. Okay. Uh, Ferengi attainment ceremony. He wishes we saw it rather oh, than we're told I do it not. about it. No, yeah, they would not have been good. They would have uh, probably made it like a bar mitzvah because they're yeah, not cool. That's when all that stuff about all how they treated them like regular people and that was the good part. That's when that would have gone bad. Yeah. Um, he says the founder doesn't react when she, as Kira, zaps herself with the phaser. She was the rock as well. Oh, yeah, good point. Um, he has a theory that... Well, this is a wild theory. Hold on. <laughs> this is probably my favorite thing that's ever happened. Okay. Theory. Odo can't smell. It's believable. Because how could the founder replicate a person's smell? Hmm. And trapped traveling together in a runabout with a while would get them pe- familiar with their peculiar gaminess. <laughs> Not that he's smelling her all up. Sure. But they are very close together at points. No, that's a good point. Uh, he may not have a sense of smell. Because, like... It's it's conceivable. We know he doesn't really eat. I don't understand how his biology works at all when he's in humanoid form. So, maybe he doesn't. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't smell. Also, if she's so good at doing everything else about Kira, maybe she can replicate her scent. I don't fucking know. Maybe Kira wears a distinctive perfume. Yeah. Maybe she's a real Song Gio. And uh, that's right. As soon as you walk in the room, you know she's there. That's right. I love it when he does that. He does that on multiple occasions, where he walks into a room and goes, "Wait a minute, I smell that," and it's fucking yep. Gio hiding behind a wall. Um, but that's a great. That's some great theory corner. Uh, I am also a five for world building. Okay. Uh, Peregrine class ships. Yeah. Admission requirements for non-Federation citizens. The Ferengi attainment ceremony. Ensign Pran is budding. Hmm. He'll have twins. Uh, this right, is going to be twins. Uh, Nausicans use science to steal things sometimes. Yeah. What are they? 
Uh, I think at the end of the day, when we do get to tapestry, we're just going to have to no, uh, assume that everything we see is Picard's version of it. <laughs> no, but and we, he's a racist. I wish that was true, but they're going to show up in DS9 and they're going to be just as dumb. Damn. They're like, um, maybe they're just not vocal. They're Brunt's henchmen at one point and they are <sighs> very stupid. We're going to get a lot of Brunt, aren't we? Yeah, but we love that guy. We love, we love Shran. I mean, yeah. Slash we like Wayun. For sure. Because he's going to be Wayun in like 50 episodes. So, uh, I mean, so the big shit in this episode, obviously, other changelings are much better at mimicking humans than Odo is. Oh, hell yeah. And the return of the founders. Yeah. So uh, I'm a five for world building. What about you? Prophet's Landing. Why do they have colonies already? They can't even feed their fucking people. How's this work? Um, Maybe they're hoping to do some farming there and send food home. Why didn't they use that moon that they just fucking turned into energy? Anyway, um, modified Peregrine class courier ships. They're like gas giants and moons inside of the Badlands. Um, yeah. Frankie adulthood and apprenticeship. Uh, Non-Federation citizens need a recommendation to get to take the entrance exam for Starfleet Academy. Again, Ensign Vilix Pran is budding. And it often, I guess, abbreviated Dens and Pran, because that's what um, Cisco calls him. He'll have twins. Uh, there are at least 12 cargo bays on DS9. Odo's whole story about the Nausicaan Raiders breaking into some alien museum built out of crystals. Louis Louis survived to the 24th century. <laughs> yeah, that's dumb. <laughs> I wrote stuff here, but how important is it? Um, I had it as a three. Let's talk about Louie Louie for a minute. Sure. Um, do you think that... What's the name of the captain of the Phoenix? Come on. Uh, the ship was the Southern... Uh, ben, ben Maxwell? Yeah, Ben Maxwell. Yeah, that's right. It is the Phoenix. Ben Maxwell. Uh, do you think that Ben Maxwell made O'Brien sing the minstrel boy to the war has gone with him because he's a racist asshole. <laughs> yes. And it turns out that what O'Brien likes to sing <laughs> when there's no one around Louis who thinks Louis. of him primarily as an Irish piece of <laughs> shit is Louie Louie. That's right. He's like, sing it pretty. And he was like, the minstrel boy to the war has gone. Ah, uh, you Irish. I love you guys. of death you will find him. His father's <laughs> sword he has geared it on and his wild Hops flung beside him, and he's like, "That's right, you keep doing that for an hour." Uh, you guys are the best when you're not drunk. <laughs> yeah, but he just wants uh, to be like, "Louie, Louie." <laughs> That's what he sings when he kayaks. A lot of kayaking, uh, O'Brien continuity in this episode. <clears throat> oh yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. That was how he hurt his arm that one time. Mm-hmm. I love when we know one thing about someone, so that's them. That's the thing. Yep. <laughs> They've already established that he plays racquetball, and it'd be super fun if Odo played racquetball, but his hand was the paddle, and did he cheat? Did he make his paddle too big? that's right, that's good. There's like a lot of stuff you could do with it, but no, he kayaked that one time on TNG, so that's his thing. Uh, Characterization. Odo is all grumpy about not getting a say and going to the governor's house for dinner. Yeah. Uh... Even Odo is some kind of engineer, just trying to build that that device that's going to go through all the fucking uh, frequency ranges trying to destroy that crystal. Yep, and it doesn't work because it's not a crystal. 
but also it might not have worked anyway. <laughs> could he have made it work? Uh, Odo and O'Brien go kayaking together and sing songs. Odo's name is a Bajoran version of the Cardassian word for nothing, which was in turn translated from the Bajoran term unknown sample. That's actually a believably complex anecdote. Yeah, that's true. I really appreciated that when he told it because it was hella convoluted and I was like, oh, that's like a real life story. Well, like you said, they put work into the dialogue this week. Yeah. Uh, Odo still has those crazy detective senses. Um, it's painful for him to confess his feelings to Kira and it doesn't seem like he'll ever do it again after this attempt. <laughs> he, when he says it, he, like slumps he down. groans and collapses <laughs> yeah. And ordinarily, that wouldn't work, but it you're right that it does work this time somehow. Yeah, Aubergine did a good job out there. Um, Nog is ashamed of his dad's shitty situation and wants to join Starfleet. Nog doesn't care about profit anymore. Again, this is the best Nog episode and probably performance so far. Jake maybe doesn't believe Nog has got what it takes for Starfleet, but he should know he's his tutor. It's true. So, like... Well, here's the thing. Jake doesn't want to do Starfleet. Right. Yes, he definitely does not. But we should just ask Jake if he he thinks he can do it. Because, I mean, he taught him to read. Uh, O'Brien and Bashir are throwing Ensign Villexpray in a baby shower. Sisko's a cheapskate and throws in with them. Yeah. What are you getting him? Uh, Put me down for that. Uh, Money's not anything anyway, right? So, who cares? (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, Dex doesn't believe in Nog any more than Cisco or Jake. Oh boy, that's tr- in the Federation. It really is the thought that counts when you get someone a gift. And he doesn't. So give- Cisco's really being shitty that's here. Right. He gives no thought at all. He could have got him a gift certificate to the fucking Klingon restaurant or something. That's right. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure Anson Prague likes worms. Or hey, I don't know. Maybe he just came into some latinum. Maybe. He might have a ton of latinum. Money is a good gift, always. Especially on this station where you can actually use it. Um, at least Cisco agrees to give Nog a shot. Then he plays hard-ass with him to get him to explain why he wants it so bad. And I, as you point out, even in real life, he was playing hard-ass with him. Uh, we got a new ROM in this episode, too. Gone is the murderer replaced by a loving father. And finally, Kira has no clue about Odo's feelings for her. Um, the Odo stuff for me worked. The Nog stuff worked. I gave it a seven. Okay, I'm... I'm a little less rosy, but maybe there's some room to be flexible here. First of all, I think it's perfectly in keeping that Cisco's vulnerable to Nog's eventual answer because he desperately wants Jake to love him like it turns out Nog loves his dad. <laughs> That's right. Like, this is the best... If you said that this was, that's why he went to Cisco to get a way out of this life, I'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think Cisco would even settle for Nog loving him as a father. Yep, absolutely. He'd probably be okay with that, too. Uh, I thought it was a great pathetic turn that Odo knows the founder isn't Kira because he knows Kira isn't in love with him. Yeah, that does work. That Again, the unrequited stuff, I think they can do better than the um, the making the making kisses. and. Yeah. Touch on each other. Uh, Obviously, no points here for Kira. I think my main problem with this episode is I have whiplash with Nog. Mm. Last week, he was the Ur Ferengi. Oh, yeah. Like, that was literally last week. On that date. Yeah, it was literally last week. Now he repudiates their whole value system. Something must have happened. He maybe didn't give Cisco the the actual incident 
that that made this happen. Maybe Cork did something really shitty to Rob. It's like um, this would be better if they if this wasn't just put in here as a B plot. If they thought of it as an actual arc, and they had shown him thinking about this over the last few weeks. Yeah, it's just it's just it's awful that last week was I didn't ask her to chew my food. You're the asshole. That's right. Yep. And this week it's, you know, the Ferengi. They don't value diversity in people, and I don't want to be like my dad. Yep. So, that, that's why I'm a four. That is fair. Uh, did we, I got, uh, did we do Ben's characterization? Uh, let's take a look. He says six. Uh, Jake. Jake's an asshole. <laughs> yes. I mean, he really does come in and be like, that was a hilarious prank you pulled on my dad who's stupid. There's no way you'd want to be in Starfleet, which is stupid. And then he's like, nah, I wasn't playing. And he's like, what are you talking about? You're dumb. You can't be in Starfleet. He thinks, uh, he thinks that uh, Odo loving Kira hasn't really been earned. But I think that they've been showing that for at least this whole season. They've been slow burning it. Yeah, they've been slow burning it. Um, Just, again, if we just want to go back to uh, Peltar Joy. Hmm. When he wants to go to the festival with Kira, and then it's, she's like, oh, great, Vedic Baral's going to be on board. He looks disappointed. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I Yeah, again, I think this this has been slow burning. So. Uh, quick hitters. Apparently a giant pile of latinum wouldn't be considered a bribe for a letter of recommendation. I was very confused about that. how that ended. He definitely should have forced him to take it back. He's the captain of the station. He could just make him take it. Yeah, I would think so. He did a real. Uh, put, he did what uh, what people used to do with like teenage girls, where they'd be like, "She, she just, she, you know, she she has a power over me. <laughs> she just made me touch her boobies and stuff. What could I do?" I mean, there could there could have been a throwaway line where Cisco said he invested it in uh, Nog's education in account, savings account <laughs> for Nog. The academy's probably expensive, right? I mean, oh, no economy, right, right, right. You know, right, right, right. you're gonna want to, you're gonna want to go skiing with your buds and stuff, oh, and loan right. them a. You're gonna want to borrow a sweater if you're gonna go skiing. <laughs> that's right. Then the if the kid dies, his sad dad's gonna come by and give you the sweater back. Ugh, it's a real fucking hassle. I've seen it. And you can't just tell the guy, you know, I can replicate infinite sweaters, I got right? Enough sweaters. I can't believe you came by with this sweater. Uh, the, the dead guy's sweater's great, but like I got. I got a lot of sweaters, and also... I'm cool on sweaters right now, sir. Um, it's cool, though, that I'll, you're, I'll, miss your, I'll miss your dead son. Have fun with the sweater. I'm not taking it. Uh, but you're right. You should have done something with that latinum. Yeah. Uh, quick hitters. Do it. Who let these two idiots run off on their own? Attack that does no damage, suspiciously fast ship, sensor failure that covers up a possible crash landing, and they not only don't smell a trap, but as soon as Kira gets her foot stuck, they just forget about the person they're chasing. Yeah. I mean, it's really on Odo. These guys are not ready to run missions on their own. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think it's 100% on Odo because. Uh, I mean, Kira at that point is already in the fridge. Yeah, she's going to get put in that fridge. <laughs> But everything up to there is fair game. Yeah, sure. Yeah, again. She's supposed to be the one with uh, tactical smarts, right? Maybe call in the Defiant if you're worried about a Maki attack. Yeah. yeah. And then I wrote, is Nox's decision to join Starfleet going to have something to do with the way his father is treated? Uh, turned out the answer is yes. Yep. 
uh, and then I said, oh, wait, shit, Odo does read detective novels? I just wrote that in the description as a joke. <laughs> well, God, has he talked about that before? He might have talked about no, it. No. Okay. I don't think so. Right. Uh, eh, what did I actually write? Eh. It doesn't matter. I wrote something in the description about how uh, Odo read a detective novel, and then later he tells her about something about the detective novels that Chief O'Brien yeah, gives him. Yeah, she. And I go, oh, he says. Uh, oh, he tries. Name, yes, he tries to tell her. Yeah, he, They've been through worse. And she says name three times or whatever, and he's like, "I didn't expect you to say that." Because he—that's not what they would say in the novel. They'd all agree that they were yeah. gonna find a way out of it or whatever. You know, his good detective Oh, skills. I said, it was when he said, when he was going to get the oscillator, whatever it was, Oda read a detective novel with a plot point about crystals once, so he's going to try to make an oscillator. Mm-hmm. And it turned out he was reading detective novels. I gave best actor to Kira laughing at Odo when he thanks her for her sarcastic offer that he can be the one to decline all invitations in the future. <laughs> because she is being very nice about how petty he's being. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and I gave worst actor to Odo pissy about not being asked if he wanted to go to dinner. <laughs> it felt like he was being Data's doing a Honey, I'm Home sitcom thing right there. Maybe there's something wrong with you! You mean like that? <laughs> exactly like that. Uh, do you have some quick hitters? No, they were all in my in all the shit I already talked about. Alright, cool. Uh, well, first place last week was The Next Generation. Mm. This week we watched The High Ground. Crusher, Worf, and Data have their lunch spoiled by a terrorist attack on this fucking random planet of the week that is not in the Federation. They're doing a lot of outside of the Federation tours right now. Yeah, I guess the I guess the the Enterprise is right at the edge right now, huh? Terrorists set off a bomb, and when uh, Crusher goes to attend to the wounded, despite Worf, Data, and Picard's objection, she is kidnapped into a magic portal thing by the terrorists. Credits. Crusher gets a visit from the captor who, I guess, has an Irish kind of name, Kirill Finn. It's Irishy, but he doesn't look it. No, and he talks like, like he's from New Jersey or whatever, so. Yeah. I'm sorry. He talks like what I, her New Jersey sounds like. I will, I will, I will tell you who he reminds me of at some point. Okay. I don't want to ruin okay, it. Good. Yeah, keep that one. Ah, you're wondering about my uh, dialect because I sound like I come from your own New Jersey. Um, Picard and Troy break the news of Crusher's abduction to Wesley, who wants to join the away team to the planet to try to get her back, but he has to settle for engineering stuff. Uh, they visit the police chief, who has some stuff to say about how the Separatists are just animals. Yep. And she gives them a sample of the transport device they use and asks for Federation technology to help them crush the rebels. They obviously refuse and go back to Enterprise to study the device. Uh... The doctor is convinced by Finn to go and look at some wounded uh, that they have. He also says he knows the Federation is helping the Rutians. That's the name of the, the planet, the people on the planet. Um, and so Not the Separatists, they're the Ansada. Right, the ruling people that he is rebelling against are the Rutians. And uh, that's why he's attacked Starfleet. <clears throat> Riker and this cop lady talk about how the terrorism has changed her, that she used to be moderate, but seeing everything they've done has made her hate them, or whatever. She never gets a name, right? I, I do not remember it. I didn't. I write never it caught her name. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, you get it. It's not you, Cardi. It's me. It's what I became because of you, blah, blah, blah. 
Crusher determines that the wounded rebels have uh, messed up DNA, and Finn says they suffer from side effects of the transport device they use. They knew it was a risk, but they have to do whatever it takes to win this war. Anyway, uh, she can't save them. Crusher and Finn argue about George Washington and, like, what is a freedom fighter versus a terrorist? It's all text. Big, t- big bold text. Yes. Uh, Riker interrupts an interrogation to tell a suspect to take a message back to Finn saying that they'll negotiate for the hostages. Um, Finn gives away to Crusher that he intends to destroy Enterprise, and he does make that attempt. Gunmen transport in all over the damn ship, and they plant explosives on the warp core. They very nearly get blown to bits and even start an evacuation, but they manage to beam the explosive out. His signal! (laughs) Fucking idiot. Um, however, Finn... Yeah, Troy is not shown at her best right there. (laughs) Finn storms the bridge and captures Picard, though he does get socked in the head, and um, he beams him back to the compound. Picard and Crusher chat a bit in the rebel caves. Finn comes in and explains all of his plans to them. Then he beams up to Enterprise and tells Troy about his demands. Wesley uses uh, the the data he records from the shift when they attacked Enterprise to figure out where they are, or the, the one that he, when he beams in to see Troy. He uses yeah. that data to determine where they are, and they start to put together an assault plan. Back in the bunker, Finn's trying to get his swerve on with some, like, pre-Titanic sketching. Too bad the assault comes like a minute later. Yeah. Uh, oh, also, by the way, definitely they are working with the Rudians at this point against the Ansada. Oh, well, yes. I mean, the, it is the a die is cast. It is a joint assault. It's a joint raid. Yeah. Worf, Riker, and the Rudian police sneak around the caves. Not even in their commando turtlenecks. Nope. Just their bright yellow and red uniforms. Yep. And slowly take the rebels down. Uh, Crusher's about to break some personal news to Picard in case they die. But the assault gets, like, really for real right at that moment. A lot of karate happens and the rebels are rounded up. Um, Finn is about to kill Picard and the police chief kills him and says bitterly that uh, another will just stand up in his place. Then uh, there's this dumb kid who's been in the episode and he comes in with a gun and Crusher convinces him to go peacefully. Riker thinks he's cracked the case despite playing everything badly this whole episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and everyone's happy and ready to move on with their lives as long as they're not on that planet. Yep. Uh, I mean, I won't, I won't even make you ask. One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, listen, this is an episode that moralizes from both sides and takes no stand whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. So the take is just an observation. It's two points. <laughs> like That's all. Uh, if it's a whole take is uh, people can see things differently, that's nothing. Yeah, I mean that's you're you're not wrong. Um, they don't say anything about terrorism in this episode. Yeah, I mean they talk about it constantly, but they don't say anything about it. Um, did Ben fall on the same page as us on this one? Uh, ben says the perception of rightness or wrongness of actions changes depending on which side you're so, on. Yeah. So that's sort of the same thing. He does think that's worth seven points, though. I fall somewhere in between you. I gave it a five uh, for the exact same thing. The line between terrorist and freedom fighter uh, is a fine one. Um, it seems very cliche, and it was. It may even have been at least a bit cliche in 1990. I don't know. But still, it gets points for being significantly pre-Islamic terror era, terror era USA. Oh, yeah. This is definitely about Northern Ireland. Yes. And for having, it's definitely and specifically about Northern Ireland. And I had to give it points for having the most obvious approach to a take of all time. <laughs> 
I mean, but I mean, there are so many times in this episode where people talk about this. But what are we meant to do about it? Are we meant to just like take a second and reflect well, and say, well, they're probably not monsters. But then what? The, then what? How does we change our policy? What do we do differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, you know how sometimes I will give... They just win a military victory and go away in this episode. So you know how sometimes I give it like seven or eight points for its very obviousness? Yeah. Just to be like, yeah. oh, thank God you yeah. didn't make me work for it. I couldn't give it all those points because I disagree with the very premise. It's actually not that fine a line. And it's pretty easy to tell which is which because there are actual definitions about what these things are. Yeah. Are you inflicting civilian casualties with a political gain in mind? If you are doing that, you are a terrorist. Let us please look at the Bajorans, who proudly walk around talking about how they were terrorists. Yes. No one there is going, well, we were just freedom fighters. Like, even in the and universe... also, they probably really weren't, because they... Because what the, terrorists they were they? Were the occupied force. Yeah, what, so what? They probably were basically only attacking military targets. Yeah, what civilians could there have been? Just whatever families were happened to be brought along or whatever. Right. But yeah, and so it's like even in universe, like we know what terrorists are, but in this one, they're like, well, I don't know though. I mean, it could be either one. It's like I don't know, planting a bomb at a restaurant or whatever. That's uh, I think it's pretty clear you're not a freedom fighter at that point. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I can only give it a five. Uh, that's three more than I gave it. <clears throat> um, what? Uh, what? How did you think they executed this week? Uh, I, these are written in real time. It would have been easier to say they needed a doctor because of the brutality of the Rutians, um, rather than just like. Well, it's a smarter direction to say they need a doctor to keep their war going. It keeps both sides kind of in a gray area, so that's fine. Um, instead of just being, I don't know what the alternative would have been there. Um, also the way the idyllic Federation views this stuff works, like Riker saying stuff like, are you telling me this little boy is a threat? Yeah. Like they really live in entirely different worlds. That Uh, is true. Again, talking about this era of this part of space where the Federation is having a really good time. Even though that little boy is already old enough to beat his dad at Anbo Jitsu. That's right. Riker, of all people, should know. He should. Unless his dad's a cheater. Filthy cheater. A lot of wondering out loud about terrorism <clears throat> in this episode. There is a conversation about the episode's premise in nearly every scene. It does come up a lot, and it almost never... So, this is in season one... This would have been a conversation between Wesley, Data, and Tasha. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Wesley would have gone, but what? But are they really that bad? They're just fighting for their home. Right. And then they uh, but to talk. Tashiar's not around, so now Data has to talk to Picard. Yep. And, the, and it's going to be unsatisfying because Picard does not have an answer for you. Mm-hmm. And Riker has to talk to the cop, and Crusher has to talk to Finn, and they're all talking about the exact same fucking thing the whole episode. Yeah. Um, they could have just aired a debate about terrorism as a political <laughs> strategy in its place. Seriously. Probably. Back-to-back weeks, the Enterprise is shown to be vulnerable to a lone gunman or fighters who don't really value their own safety. I- yeah, it's as if... Uh... I mean, they really do treat this ship like it's not a military ship. Let's just say that. I was going to say, I think it's a good reminder that you can't really stop somebody who doesn't care about living. 
Yeah, that's true. Like if their if their goal is only to cause harm and regardless of the consequences of themselves, it's actually very hard to stop somebody. Um bad character work, but I'll leave those points for later. I gave it a 6. Uh I'm not too far behind you this week. Uh first of all, Ben is also a 6. Oh, okay. He says Wrecker big dogs that lady captain in her own precinct. Oh, he interrupts that interrogation 4 seconds in. It's nice to see a story where the feds aren't purely the good guys. Yes, it is, but I wish they confronted it. Yeah. Like, Finn is telling them many times by sent by giving these people, even by giving them medical supplies, Yeah, you are taking a side here, and they never have to confront it at all. And at the end, when they come in in a joint raid, nobody says, well, I guess we are working with them now. Right, you know what I mean. Well, they don't. They don't. No one in the on the Federation side confronts the idea that they're not the good guys here. Only Beverly and Picard immediately laughs in her face and says, "You have Stockholm syndrome." That's right. So the only time that someone actually goes, "But we are help," or "We are helping the Rudians," or whatever, or you have given them reasons, he goes, "I don't have to remind you about the psychological state of the prisoner or whatever." Um. Let's see. He thinks the scene with Picard and Crusher in the cave is good. Uh, they're doing a thank you and goodbye, etc. He says that Crusher's saying Wesley's had good role models elevates Picard to, like, surrogate father status. Mm. Uh, he thinks he's spotted a plot hole. If the Federation is dealing with these guys, then it suggests that the Prime Directive doesn't apply, and that suggests that they are warp-capable. If that's the case, why aren't the rebels on like a moon base or something? Or why don't they just leave and start a colony? Yeah. Hard to say. Uh, it's possible. I think that... I'm not sure warp is necessarily a condition. I think if they know about aliens... Yes, if someone has already... Like if they made contact or something like that. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, what the rules might be. Obviously, we never really get them. But like, I think if they've made the rounds and been introduced by other yeah. aliens, I think they're fair game at that point. Um, I'm a four. Okay. Uh, just a couple of, just a couple of quick notes. Uh, I thought there was a great, well-lit close-up of Picard on the bridge up at the top of this one. Mm. Um, the cinematography on Next Generation doesn't usually vary that much, so when I see something that's odd, I like to call it out. Right. Uh, like you, I had two weeks in a row of Enterprise security being pretty porous. Yeah. Um... I think the reason I liked this one in my memory is all of the good TNG speech making. Yeah. But it's, it doesn't hold up as strongly on the rubric for me as it as it did as just an episode. No. I love when Picard busts out a, <laughs> busts out a speech and there's a lot of that. And Finn gets a couple too. <clears throat> no, I'm in, I'm in agreement where I was watching this going, eh, it's fun, but not uh, not art. The pacing is fine, but the Riker security chief scenes are are mostly filler. Yeah. Like you could you could drop that third of the episode and it'd still mostly be okay. I think it would be better. I think it'd be a better episode because all you see is Riker sucking. <laughs> really not a good Riker episode. Kind of, and yeah. I'll get into it later. So I had this one just south of the middle of the road at a at a four. Okay. Uh what about um, the world building? Yeah. Uh, Ben's a three. Right. Uh, world isn't monolithic in two equal factions. It's a tiny terrorist organization against a powerful government. Mm-hmm. He thinks global peace must be a condition of joining the Federation. There's an episode that I think 
dances around that later. Yeah. Uh, to paraphrase Finn, there's a lot to admire about the Federation, but there's a hint of moral cowardice in it. Right. Um, and he says that's uncomfortable to hear, but the viewer knows this to be true or true-ish, even if it's not particularly true of the Enterprise's crew. We would at least know it because we've heard this from many aliens in season three. Yeah. That there is something off about the way the Federation is viewed from outsiders versus inside the Federation. Right. Um, I'm at a two for world building. Um, we've got the dimensional shift. Okay. We've got, uh, we know that in our time, Ireland is about to get buck wild. <laughs> That's right. We're almost there. Five years. And most of what we learn is about sort of Federation policy as regards non-member worlds, how they right. deal with these non-member worlds. So, I mean, that the meat of it really is in the Federation dealing with the Rudians and the Ansada, but it it never gets focus in the episode. Yeah, I agree. I had it as a two. Uh, Rutia 4 is non-aligned, but has a trading relationship with the Federation. Terrorists fighting for autonomy on the western continent of their planet. Um... The inverter, which transports them really well through space, but makes them very sick. Uh, dimensional shifting, I guess, is the mechanism. He mentions the designers of the inverter. It would be cool if we could figure out who that was. Because he definitely implies it is not someone on that planet. <laughs> well, who would yeah, have that technology it's a, there? It's a sympathizer, or the Ferengi sold them this technology that they know will kill them, or what the deal is, right? Yeah, I would like to know more about that part of it. The Elway Theorem, Adaptive Transport, proven to be fatal, so research was abandoned. Why has Finn, Why and how has Finn read our history books? It's, it's an insane thing that comes up in this episode. You can maybe work out how. Can, let's do one better. He takes a, one fucking look at yeah. Dr. Crusher and says, you're from the American continent, right? Mm -hmm. She says, yeah, North American. And he's like, ah, I got a good one. I got one ready for this. Your own George hey. Washington. Hey, how do you know? Yeah, right. How do you know by looking at yeah. her? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Has he got her service record? Who sent him her service it's record? It's very confusing. They just showed up at this planet with a bunch of medical supplies. But like, my, the how is bizarre, but does he have one ready for everything? Like if she, if she, if she was from Africa, would he just, would he have one ready? Would he be like, you know, your, own, real your own fucking Chaka Zulu? <laughs> we, have one, we have one world to deal with here. And if someone showed up and said, I'm from Hungary, you'd go, oh. Uh, um, well, just like your own. Well, it's not yours, ooh, but a few countries over, I got one. Um, <laughs> you'd, uh, you'd really be struggling. I kind of know where that is. Uh, you've heard of George Washington then, right? <laughs> um... So that, yeah, that has always blown my mind since the first time I saw that episode and continues to baffle me. Uh, Irish unification in 2024, the Kenzie Rebellion. Um, it was a two for me because most of it's nothing. And the things that I was curious about, I did not learn about. And uh, how about characterization? I gave it a two. Uh, Crusher rushes into action to save these randos and shouts, I'm a doctor to anyone who will listen. Yep. She initially refuses to say anything to her captor, but she gives in pretty quick. She even gives up information about their mission and her own family for some reason. 
Yep. Then she tells a kid he's probably not going to grow up. Which is yep. really cool. Crusher tells Picard he wouldn't dare have beamed her up in scene one. Um, uh, it's okay. Picard and Riker already said as much on the bridge. <laughs> in front of everybody that's on the bridge. Yep. Crusher has become, uh, become a terrorist within a couple of days, I think. She was all in on that. Data's a snitch. Oh, yeah. Just fucking calls the ship and is like, I told the doctor we have to leave, but she doesn't want to. Um, I outrank... Oh, I don't outrank her. I need the captain's permission because she outranks me. Riker is a pass-the-buck motherfucker. I don't want to be in the transporter room to greet her. Oh, okay. Well, Billy boy, it's not going to matter. Because she gets kidnapped. You feel better now? Well, he's going to have to go on a big dumb raid. Uh, Riker doesn't know about transporters, I guess. People don't just appear and disappear. Yeah. Like, well, unless it only happens if it goes. <laughs> that's the I did a, a great impression. That's the noise it makes. You guys, that's were, how it sounds. You remember that, right? And goes sparkle, sparkle, sparkle. Riker appears to get tired of these interrogations within thirty-five seconds and gives the whole game away just through this. That's another Kaczynski. Through this lady right under the bus. Then again, he is sure he has solved terrorism when that kid puts down his gun in the end. Despite the fact that oh, yeah. he didn't do anything to stop him, won't stick around to try and help, and probably won't even remember this happened by next week. Hey, dog, all it takes, maybe all it takes, maybe, it's for one kid to put down his gun. <laughs> it's like, who are you? Why are you talking? One of the worst Riker episodes so far, and there have been some bad ones. Uh, Worf is 500 times smarter than Riker. He knows they abducted her to get the Federation involved. He basically says it in the first briefing. Yep. Uh, he doesn't have great reaction time on the bridge, though. He only manages a double KO after, like, six shots are fired on the bridge. Um, but the groundwork... No, Picard's stunt double's much better. That's right. <laughs> but the groundwork Riker laid last week about the captain's safety pays off when Worf limps back to the bridge and asks to join the assault because he owes it to the captain. It's true. He did physically. He did threaten him last week, mm-hmm. didn't he? Worf remembered that shit. He said, "The greatest human just told me I had that. This is my fucking job. I better get back up there." Uh, Picard has never subscribed to the theory that power flows from the barrel of a gun. Again, it's a good time to be in the Federation. Yep. Uh, he lays Finn out with a wild haymaker. Crusher tells Finn that Picard is very influential. So I think that plays into the old boys' club that we have described. Yep. Uh, Picard has his mind on escape and not loving a nasty terrorist like Crusher. Jordy is a fucking gymnast. <laughs> Where he jumps in that scene. Yeah. Uh, Troy is really dumb these days. She thought Jordy wanted to beam himself into, <laughs> space, himself into space to solve the problem. <laughs> she forgot that you can take off your communicator and use it for this exact purpose. His signal... Lady, he's not going to beam himself into space to save the ship. That's not going to do anything. He's much more a duck under the closing door type. That's exactly right. Uh, Wesley stays cool under fire and figures out how to track the shifts, even though he misses his mama. Actually, he was the most adult person in the episode, and the only reason it gets as many as two points. Yeah, but he was doing the thing, uh, again, from the Marla Astor episode. Oh, yeah. Where he was putting on a brave face, but secretly he's real mad at Data now. That's right. Data and Worf. <laughs> For sure. It should have been you. 
Um, but anyway, we'll get to see so many of these from Wesley. I mean, it's not that long until uh, he saves the day with Menage Menage Troy, right? Yes. Yeah. He's starting yes. to he's starting to turn into that uh, Wesley that we all remember. Yes, it is unfortunate, but uh, it can't be that far away. <laughs> it's the week after Sarek, so it's uh, actually still about ten ten weeks out. Okay. Um, you gave it a two. Just a two. Ben gave it a five. Okay. Uh, continuation of idealistic Crusher, much better than uh, Pulaski's character pillar of hates androids because one probably better as a child <laughs> could be uh confused Riker says their fight doesn't involve us Worf it does now mm-hmm. yep uh he says Wesley's a Mary Sue I don't know that that's true Wesley is known to be the, a smart engineer yeah so it's fine also he is studying so the fact that the solution to this is something from a discarded theorem yeah, probably makes more sense to come from... I mean, except for the fact that Data's standing right there, it makes more <laughs> sense to come from Wesley than Jordy, at least. And isn't it Jordy who figures out who he's talking about? I yes. think Data literally the whole time just looks at them both like, wow, these guys seem smart. <laughs> I, should pro- uh, I should probably read some more books later. Oh man, I'm really getting fucking worked in this one. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to come back in here tomorrow and talk all about the Elway theorem. <laughs> so it seems like I knew it all along. Halfway through, when Jordy says the Elway theorem, you can hear him going, "Elway theorem, yeah, that's right. Elway theorem, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying it too. We both said it. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, I am more like you than Ben. Okay. I'm a three. So, if Picard is the moral center of this show. Mm. You can't have him say to Data, look, nobody knows if terrorism is okay. That's right. We've all been wrestling with that one. Your guess is as good as mine, robot. Yeah, well, it's just, look, all humanity's been struggling with that one for all time, so... Yep, we're gonna punt. Uh, Beverly's super quick to forgive this guy who may kill her son. Just tells her. I'm like, ah, it's really a shame about your son being on the ship. I'm definitely gonna blow it up. I get that he drew your face. <laughs> right. Like, I guess that's flattering. He didn't, like, overemphasize your nose or anything. But come on. I like how Picard is instantly in the Captain Kirk I fucking school of thought where he's like, oh, we are definitely using this against him. Yeah. Um, Riker is so frustrated, he's out of breath, and he accomplishes nothing. He's super lucky Wesley remembered about dimensional shifts. Yep. It's true. So this is not, this episode does not show our crew off at their best. I gave it three. That is fair. What about um, what about some quick ones? I'm sure you got some. Uh, uh, ben likes the police uniforms. Let's just say that. And then he also likes that after LaForge uses his communicator to beam the bomb out, he has to go back to the panel to talk to the bridge. Yeah, that's good. So that's a nice little He wasn't touch. just wearing it again in the next scene. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I had some quick hitters. How was Guinan going to pay that cafe? Uh, Crusher going to pay that cafe bill? Yeah, she calls for the fucking waiter. Maybe she was. Maybe yeah. the next words are going to be, I don't have any money. <laughs> so we don't really <laughs> use money, but we just brought your planet a bunch of medical supplies. So we're good, You and I are, I think, right? good. We're going to walk out now. Uh, these uh, Routians have the same glassware as Guinan. Oh. Specifically that, uh, that straight-sided cylinder with the step pyramid top. You know what I'm I talking about. I know exactly about. what you're talking about. Yeah, shows up in this on this planet. Mm-hmm. It's on the, one of the waiter's trays. 
Is Riker going to steal uh, it and it's going to end up in his quarters later? That's probably what will happen, yeah. <laughs> Riker and Picard just acknowledging out loud that Crusher's a real pain in the ass. Yeah. I don't know how confident I'd be that Worf's tricorder doesn't show any more bombs. He was just drinking tea or whatever in a room with a bomb for who knows how long. Yeah. Well, I didn't catch the first one. They apparently ain't doing any. The tricorder doesn't show any explosives. Well, Worf, did you scan before? That's right. You won't necessarily know what's different. But Worf is a lot smarter than Riker with it does now. So all three of us noticed that one. Yep. Uh, This is worse than the normal identical to human aliens. These guys just have one genetic gray streak in their hair. So aggravating. Uh, And then this dude, Carol Finn, is like if Jerry Seinfeld had gone into drama. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the fact that he was just wearing a turtleneck the whole episode. And he's got a vaguely tri-state area accent. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. But our real strong, dramatic Seinfeld vibes from this guy. Oh, man, it would be so good to... That's a good what if. What if that guy had been Jerry Seinfeld? Yeah. <laughs> In a world where children blow up children, everyone's a threat. Sure. Says the security lady. Of course, this guy on a not even Federation world knows who George Washington is. Thank you. Yep. Hey, a couple of weeks ago, we saw some admiral or somebody wearing what looked like the fabric that Romulan uniforms are made out of as trim on his uniform. And I asked if it was big dogging, the Romulans. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the trim on these Russian security uniforms is also the same material. Uh, it's just in demand. It's uh, it's very fashionable these days. How embarrassed do you think Troy is that she forgot you could take off your combat? Oh, if she's anything like me, she's going to remember it forever. Literally every night she'll relive it. Like it was an intense situation and no one on the bridge remembers that it happened at all, yep. but she remembers. The things that embarrass me are never the things that should. It's always the things that no one remembers but me. <laughs> and then I go, oh boy. Finn did some fucking 1980s music video drawings. Oh yeah, he did. Like some and, uh, uh, fucking Richard point, Marks or something. Yes. At one point, Frakes almost punches his own shirt off. <laughs> He has to, like, twist and pull his jacket back down after throwing this punch. It, like, got all the way up to his neck. I remember that punch. It looked terrible. It was not not good looking. And it really screwed up his shit. (laughs) I gave best actor to Picard and the worst actor to... uh, There's a security guard that says, These on Sada, they're madmen. Yep, I remember that guy. Um, Oh, we did the damn thing. Yep, we got there in the end. I, I, um... I actually think I have a couple of quick hitters. Um, Let's have them. I think Crusher actually said the trigger word for the bomb when she said waiter. When she said waiter. <laughs> waiter. Because <laughs> instantly explosions all over the damn place. It's like uh, Kirk Enterprise. It was something like that. Um, well, we know the guy who stares down the doctor in this first scene is a bad guy. Yeah. Definitely gave that one away. Hey, it, uh, it sounds like white privilege exists on other worlds, too. Listen to this white-ass whiner incel motherfucker. <laughs> and then again, is this guy supposed to have an Irish name because he's a terrorist? The answer is yes. <clears throat> uh, the answer is yes, yeah. So that's it. Otherwise, it was all in the rest of the shit we talked about. Yeah, and uh, I forgot I had one in my in my description as well. Uh, Wesley remembers John Elway's famous theorem. <laughs> what if there were like... Hella dimension. What if it was like, I was just thinking about it, and like, 
What if there's so many dimensions that, like, there were literally just, like, there's so many John Elways out there. What if some of them can't throw the football 70 yards? Yeah. Like, what if there's, like, a John Elway out there who's, like, a real nerd, right? Yeah. Anyway, probably be dangerous to try and go to those dimensions. That's my <laughs> That's theory. That's my theorem. Uh, I got vague Ivanova vibes from the security officer, and I wish they had just used Claudia Christian. Why is she never in Star Trek? Yeah, she's wearing, like, the tight ponytail and the militaristic-looking uniform. Yeah. She's really severe. It, yeah, I got it, too. Uh, yeah, now we did it. In. All right, yeah, how did it go? It. It's, I assume I assume the last two were pretty clear. The ones in last place. Uh, yeah, yeah. The lower the lower tier, uh, pr- pretty bad. No real surprise. In uh, fifth place with 11 total points. Mm. Uh, that's extremely bad. It's not good. Dar- Darkling, Voyager. Voyager, what are you doing? Hurts to get no points on, on premise. How, really hurts you. How are they doing this? How are they making so many bad episodes? How are they not canceled? Yeah, you know, the bad news about this, Matthew, is that uh, Memory Alpha says that this was the first episode in a run of three consecutive episodes that Voyager fans consider uh, unusually bad. No! So we may have two more. Bad for Voyager? Yeah. Bad for Voyager is really bad. Bad in the context of Voyager. Oh, God. Fourth place this week... Uh, starting to get used to this. Yeah. Uh, with 18 points, Star Trek with, and the children shall lead. Fair score. We both gave it a nine. A, fair, a pretty fair score. Yes, exactly. Well, and I was a six and you were a five on Darkling. So yep. really not that much difference. I feel that one um, offline. You had mentioned you gave it a nine and that, yep, I gave it a nine as well. <laughs> yep. Uh, Third place this week, 26 points. Mm. Um, not good for third place, frankly. That's four points below average. Yeah. Uh, TNG, the high ground. Tough week. Tough week for TNG. You, you gave it four more than me, but even if I gave it what you gave it, it would have been a dead average 30. Yep. Second place this week with a dead average 30, which will tell you how the week went, Enterprise Twilight. Another one that was hurt by premise. Only collected two points. And uh, the winner, 15th win. Damn. DS9, Heart of Stone, uh, 40 points, which is uh, respectable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the average week winner scores 40.97 points at this point in the project. So it's a slightly so, below average week winner. So this is a slightly below average week winner in a well below average week yeah it really was uh you know our weekly average score uh is what is it now it's right at Mm, as the math did 30.77 points yeah i'm sorry that's the no that yeah Yeah. that's the the total average so that's got to be the the week average too and this is a an average this week of uh just 25 points so yeah it wasn't good you yeah you are deep in the red on landry one this week and i'm just a shade lighter so yeah not good so it was rough uh next week for those playing along we will be watching is there in truth no beauty which one's that i recognize the title 
uh, I know that Spock is wearing like a uh, red goggles in the <laughs> thumbnail, but I don't remember. Oh, well, me... It's not for the world is hollow and I've touched the sky. That's three. Uh, weeks from is now. there in truth no beauty? Is one of the Mul- Muldar Diana Muldar episodes? Can, can okay. she, uh, she? Only a jealous scientist can save Spock when he goes mad after seeing a hideous Medusan. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's that's right. That's great. <laughs> Super great. It's good stuff. Next week. Uh, TNG, Deja Q. Mm, Q comes back as a human. Q comes back as a human. Yeah. Deep Space Nine, we're watching Destiny. Do you remember what the thumbnail was on that? I do not. Um, let me see. Um, a joint federation cardassian mission to establish a communications relay on the other side of the wormhole is complicated by an ancient Bajoran prophecy of doom that sounds bad that doesn't sound like it's gonna be good huh okay uh voyager we're watching rise okay i also do not remember what the thumbnail was on that looks like ah, some random planet is hit by asteroids voyager intervenes okay i get it and enterprise we're watching north star I, I assume we're still in the expanse doing some stuff. I think we're still doing the expanse. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, as always, thanks to Ben for playing along. Next week will be a mailbag. Yes. Uh, we'll probably do some more reviews of our delicious snacks. Um. Oh yeah. Uh, I I have notes on all of the remaining ones. Nice. So. Um. So everybody, please uh, stuff that mailbox full. That's uh, at BrotherDate on the Twitter machine. Send us some emails, brothers at brotherdate.com. Go to brotherdate.com. Check out how Landrew has changed and what a good boy he's become. And uh, I guess we'll catch you on the flip side. Uh, anything else? That'll do. Peldor Joy, Emissary. As you believe, so shall you do, so shall you do. <laughs> As you believe, so shall you do. Please subscribe.